Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Richard Pryor did to Mal... No, hang on, lads, I'm not reading that. <laughs> I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seth Patrick. And James Hunt. Uh, we'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before diving into a spoiler-filled discussion of Richard Lester's 1983 movie, Superman 3. And that intro is the only reference we'll be making to the topical news around this movie. But before <laughs> any of that, I'm a comic book expert, you guys. Uh, <laughs> so we keep hearing. <laughs> <laughs> so today, I'd like you to try and t- tell me something that I don't know about kryptonite. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Do you know how many different types of kryptonite there are and Ooh. what they all do? Yes. Um, Do you know what they all do <laughs> yes do you know what pink kryptonite does joe it makes superman shrink i'm afraid it's much worse than that oh no what's it do it makes him homosexual <laughs> i was like should i make that joke i'm not gonna make that joke that's a bad joke <laughs> i've got a, a less homophobic fact for you about kryptonite the thing okay. is that that's that's a later one i'm i'm sort of i'm i'm talking about your classic silver age <laughs> types not not on. stupid ones that have let's, been introduced okay in, right in later. let's let's turn this into a game give me a color i'll guess what it does and then you can tell me <laughs> what it actually does okay uh white white kryptonite causes superman's suit to change color no it does nothing to superman <laughs> uh, white kryptonite uh kills kryptonian plants oh well, that's uh, quite. That's quite. So, does it kill that like that plant that turned Supergirl evil on Supergirl? If it that... was a Kryptonian plant, then it then it probably would. Cool. Okay. Uh, give me another color. Uh, blue. Uh, blue Kryptonite obviously um, makes Superman fall asleep. No, it once again it has no effect on Superman. <laughs> blue kryptonite uh, has the same effect on Bizarros as green kryptonite has on Superman. Oh, I like that. That's that's uh, cool. Okay, red. this Do is red. one you should get if you've read a certain Alan Moore comic that I'm sure I've recommended in the past. Gold. Oh, oh, uh, was the, is that the? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I haven't read it. Uh, I know this one. Gold kryptonite. I'm gonna guess uh, a does something to Superman. Gold permanently yes. removes his powers. It does, yes. Permanently? Point to me. Permanently? Permanently. And there, and there are, again, several answers for this, uh, but uh, but we'll go with the classic one uh, for red. 
Hmm. I know this as well. Um, Red Kryptonite. I feel like I've seen Red Kryptonite, like on a TV show or movie. Oh, we're not going with TV shows because TV shows have got different. Like Blue Kryptonite <laughs> okay. is something different on Smallville and that kind of thing. We're just okay. going with comics here. So then I'm gonna say Red Kryptonite. Um, means that Superman can't fly. Well, the others would do that as well. No, uh, red kryptonite causes a different bizarre mutation every time it's used. <laughs> oh, oh, that's really unpleasant. <laughs> what's it? What's it do? Oh, all it, like, kinds of things. It, it just does like, anything, basically it, anything. A withered it'll hand. Turn, it'll turn Superman into some kind of giant monster, um, or you know, give him an overgrown head. Uh, <laughs> I mean, look here's here, here's a panel. Uh, from a, a Silver Age comic showing with, with Superman looking at a poster on the wall um, of different effects that Red Kryptonite has had. Um, during his boyhood in Smallville, um, he turned into Fat Superboy, Giant Superboy, Dragonwing Superboy, and Six-Fingered Hand. Uh, but as an adult, <laughs> it turned him into Bearded Superman, Ooh, Rainbow cool. Superman, Ant Head Superman, and Super Monster. I think all of those adult ones are quite cool, and I think I would read all of those titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but so those are your classic ones. So it, so other ones have been sort of introduced in different continuities or timelines or or whatever. Black Kryptonite um, is one that's turned up. I think Black Kryptonite was used in Supergirl and and splits into creates a kind of evil duplicate. Um, but your 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 red, green, gold, blue, and white are the classic Silver Age variants. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so it turns out I did really know nothing about Kryptonite. <laughs> yeah, what does green have... Kryptonite do? <laughs> is, that just, is that the standard one that just takes away his powers? That is just, that is just the standard one. Yes, <laughs> except in this movie. And if, and if you're human and you wear it as a ring, it gives you cancer. <laughs> it gives you cancer, yeah. I have a Kryptonite fact that is actually a fact. Ooh. And that is that Kryptonite was first used in the radio show of Superman. Yes, that is a good fact about Krypton. Wow. It does yeah. not originate in the comics. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's amazing. What a I fact, know, right? James. <laughs> Given that it's like, it's one of the aspects of Superman that more so than almost any other is in the cultural lexicon. Like, mm-hmm. Kryptonite is a phrase in the vernacular. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's one of those that's kind of it's in the in the same way as Trigger's broom has kind of repra- replaced Theseus's ship. Kryptonite has replaced Achilles' heel. <laughs> That's very true. Um, okay, amazing. So we we learnt lots about Kryptonite. Uh, well, we should do that every week. I, that was good fun. <laughs> yeah. What could the Kryptonite we... corner with a K? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm writing it down. Okay, uh, we'll move on to our comic book movie and TV news section now. Um, and weirdly, even though we recorded our mini-sode quite late, there's been a bunch of um, movie news that has broken since then. So we'll try and uh, blast through it. Um, but James, you've been dying to talk about this ever since it, uh, ever since <laughs> news broke. So we know that New Mutants has been pushed back. Like it's almost a year, isn't it? Like we, we were supposed to be seeing it next month, I think. It was supposed to be out in April, and it's coming out in February now. Yes. So yeah, ne- next February, ten month delay, and you know, bear in mind that I think what um, um, Matthew Vaughan turned around X Men First Class in something like nine months from, from principal photography to <laughs> release in cinemas. That's a long time to delay a movie. Um, so they're going to go back and do some reshoots. So, you, I, I don't know, maybe there's like an action scene that they want to 
bulk up a bit, or I don't know. They've they just they think they've got they've got just like one scene that isn't working, and they want to maybe add a couple more jokes in there. Um, but New Mutants wants to do something a little bit extra, doesn't it, James? <laughs> they want to add in an entirely new character. What? Who is not currently in the film? <laughs> so why this is insane to me is that a lot of the time movies when they have these reshoots, do you need to explain why it's insane well to you? no well so it's well it's insane in that they're doing it but like because we know who the cast are who has been announced as soon as they add the extra character when the movie goes back and does reshoots we have to do a bit of guesswork and some of the time like uh, you know or like when there's changes to a movie like when everyone thought that the like Peyton Reed stuff in Ant-Man was Edgar Wright's stuff and it turned out it was something that Peyton Reed had brought to himself um you know we we kind of have to guess and we can't, we're, we're like oh I wonder if that is I wonder if that is we are going to watch this entire movie going every time that character pops up going we know this is something that you've added in afterwards and it's just it's like painting a target on the movie's back have you ever seen silent hill no in uh, in the I've silent hill bad. movie there is a separate plot thread with sean bean that does not cross over with the main plot in the slightest <laughs> and aside from one scene at the start of the film the characters never even meet and it's like he's the husband of the family and i would pay like I would put actual money on that being a very badly done reshoot, and I have a feeling New Mutants might end up like that, where there is a subplot about someone else who basically doesn't interact with the rest of them. Okay, wild speculation. Who do we think they're adding? <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is what James so, is looking forward to. If this, if this was me, I would be adding Cable to this movie because Cable <laughs> famously takes the New Mutants and turns them into X Force, and you know. You're trying to build your X-Men franchise to try and make some money before Marvel buys you or not. So you're t- but so you're tying it to the Deadpool side of the universe rather than the um, yeah you know the successful part of the universe. I guess uh, surely Negasonic Teenage Warhead is your uh, is is a solid link there as well. Not yeah, that not I'm saying that she was canonically a new mutant, but. Hold on, maybe she <laughs> she's was, certainly huh? the she's certainly the right age for it. Yeah, and yeah, and you could imagine, and also she's kind of got that punky attitude, which the poster, the you know the the teaser image they released of this film. Yeah, that is, you could see her fitting in with that with that vibe. Yeah, um, although my other my other choice is that they're going to add a wacky CGI character and they're going to add Warlock because he's I basically you were say dupe for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, like Warlock is basically uh, the sort of archetypical wacky character edition because he literally sort of he's a shape-shifting robot alien who spends all his time like turning into skateboards and shit i'm just checking and i think that might disrupt the tone of the movie but i would love to see them do that i was just checking that warlock wasn't already a character there is some alien-y kind of character in there right yeah there are (laughs) so we got mirage sunspot cannonball wolfsbane magic Yes. Was Warlock was Warlock uh maybe rumored at some point? I don't know. I but... mean, Warlock is part of the classic lineup. And the one they've put in the film does kind of have a big gaping hole where the fun character should be. But then that's not the tone of the movie they're going for, so which is why I really hope it's him because that's the only way this is going to be actually good. 
My other worry or wonder is that, you know, we, we heard that Demon Bear was the inspiration for this movie and um, that it was going to be properly horror, whether they are thinking that actually they need to put a, a proper, like, actual villain in there, r- rather than it being more kind of like... Yeah, possibly. Whether they want someone who's pulling the strings and that, you know, set, sequel setting up, I don't know. It's a strange one, but I, I you know what, I'd like this, something about this movie intrigues me more than 90% of the other <laughs> movies that are in development. I kind of want, I want to see this, this, this weird horror movie that they've made. And I'm, I'm kind of gutted that I've got to wait a whole year to see it. <laughs> Yeah. It is a very strong word. Well, yeah, that's that's true. I think I've probably got enough comic book movies to get me through between now and then. Certainly in April. Um, okay, so New Mutants. That's bonkers. Um, <laughs> let's, let's move over to something similarly strange, which is the first look that we got at Shazam's costume from Shazam. Um, this was a behind-the-scenes picture that leaked for David F. Sandberg's movie. Um Seb, give us your hot take on this costume, because you've um, got a, you've got a take. It's hot, and I like it. Oh, okay. No, it's just well, I, yeah, I, I tweeted this from from our account, but it's just that you know it, it puts me in mind of when I've always said you know that if the first released photo of Chris Evans as Captain America had been a shot from the Star Spangled Man sequence, it would have driven the internet insane, and. That's what DC look like they've done here, driven the internet insane by showing him in a in a silly costume. Now I don't looking at the costume and looking at certain bits of detail on it, particularly the boots, I don't think that's what's happening here. I think this is the costume from the film. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, you say they're showing him in a silly costume. They're showing him in his in, costume. In Captain Marvel's costume. It yeah. looks like one of those costumes though that you know, like a kid gets from Argos to make them look like the Incredible Hulk. Where <laughs> it, it's got it, like just padding for the muscles. Because it yeah. that just did that doesn't look like re- the no, shape of a person. No. no. Um I mean it also looks like Pee Wee Herman's wearing it. Um <laughs> But what I find interesting well, interesting is a is a strange word to use. Um the cape is the sort of because if you look at kind of classic Captain Marvel, he has that weird small, um, you know, like yeah, um, and it's kind of like that, and it's got that really light texture to it. But it's got the hood, which comes from the newer, you know, the, the new Fifty Two version of Shazam, where the cape is more of a proper cape, and he has the hood. So it's this weird halfway thing between the two. Now, obviously, I've, you know, I've seen <laughs> DC fans going um, a little bit nuts over this the funny thing was the first place i saw this was on the timeline of a Zack snyder fan who got angry at me on twitter because he saw my tweet where, where i was once again mentioning that i threw up during man of steel and decided <laughs> to tell me that this didn't happen and to also get his friends to tell me that this didn't happen it definitely it did, did happen. happen because it almost <laughs> splashed on me <laughs> um, yeah, James is, is my witness that it really did happen. Uh, but anyway, so I was clicking through to that guy's timeline, and that was where I saw people complaining about how <laughs> stupid they thought this costume looked. <laughs> now, it looks silly, it looks ridiculous, but we are seeing—we don't know the context we're seeing it in. Um, we, other than the fact that it seems to be at Christmas. Um, for all of that, I am cautiously intrigued slash amused. Because I do sort of think that if you're going to do Captain Marvel, the way to do it is lighthearted. And 
I read the description uh, where they kind of someone described it as what they're going for is big meets Superman, and it's great. like yeah, yeah, great. That's what they should be doing. So mm-hmm. whether this is reflective of that or whether this is a point in the film where he looks like that for some reason and that's not actually what he really looks like as Shazam, I don't know. Well, it's, but, a, kid, it's a kid who imagines being a superhero. It could, yeah. it could very well be him dreaming of what he looks like when he's a superhero. I mean, yeah. For all we know, know they're just going to CGI the shit out of it so it doesn't even yeah. look like that. Like, mm. it, It's yeah, kind of they, ridiculous to base your There could be all kinds of reasons, but... You know, and if you look at his hair as well, and if you just look generally, and this is what the, the Pee Wee Herman comparison, because his hair just looks like a, a painted action figure. Yeah, it looks cheesy, but you know, I wouldn't want them to be doing that if it was I've a Superman movie. I remembered who he looks like. But, I remembered who he on. looks like. Seb, go on. It's Turbo Man off of Jingle All the Way, because <laughs> with all the Chris with the Christmas, the Christmas stuff in the background yeah. as well. Yeah, that's exactly yep. what it is. I still just think he looks like Pee Wee Herman. Um, Put that cookie down now. No, I, I, you know, wary of reading too much into a single picture. I just think of the fact that it's, if it annoys Zack Snyder fanboys, I'm probably more likely to get on with whatever it's doing. I like it. I like this image. I like like that it looks terrible. If, if, and, if and that's this not film me saying is... I think it's going to be bad. I'm saying I like that it looks like this could be a knockabout comedy family movie in the mm-hmm. DCEU. I mean, that's wonderful. If this is in the same universe as Suicide Squad, that great. far. Um, I don't know if the whole film needs to be a full-on knockabout family comedy, but definitely for it to have elements of that and like and like i say you know just the, the way that i picture captain marvel and i know it's not the way that everyone pictures him but um it's like kate you know there was um did you guys read the the brendan fraser article that was going around yes a yeah. week or two ago and that just reminded me how 10 15 years ago i was so keen to see brendan fraser play captain marvel because he would have been absolutely perfect the, the take on captain marvel that i want to see is this is a child's idea of what a superhero looks and acts like um, and if that's what they're going for with this, I really think that could be a lot of fun because it's it, it's what Captain Marvel slash Shazam has that makes him distinctive and unique, if you don't count yeah. Miracle Man. Um, what's, with all these, <laughs> what's with all of these Captain Marvel costumes being leaked and then <laughs> the studio's not immediately showing us what the costume actually looks like? Yeah. <laughs> The reason I clicked through was I saw people saying the words Captain Marvel and costume, and I thought, oh, have we seen the properly coloured version of the Brie Larson costume? <laughs> and, and we hadn't. <laughs> We'd got something better. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. But I'm looking forward to seeing both of those actual costumes when they are revealed. Um, let's, uh, let's jump back to Fox now. Um, Fox are developing a Silver Surfer movie, apparently. Um it's been developed uh, with Brian K. Vaughan, who you know off of comics and other assorted media. Um, can, I, can I make a bold prediction? One of one of our famous bold predictions. <laughs> I, I, I think I can guess what this bold prediction is, which <laughs> makes me think it might not be so bold. Um, no, I, I, the movie could well happen, but if <laughs> if and when this movie happens, it will not be with a script by by or credited to Brian K. Vaughan. <laughs> he might be involved in the development now. I don't think he's going to actually be scripting a, a produced Silver Surfer movie. I said to you off mic, James, um, that I don't have any faith in any Fox movie that has started development, you know, within the last few months because 
<clears throat> by by the time this gets too cl- like close to getting a green light, uh, some pod at Disney's going to go, guys, don't, no, no, no. Don't fuck around with our stuff that we've paid a lot of money for. Just hold it back. I mean, we might, we might <laughs> want Galactus to be our villain in Phase Four or Five of the MCU. Quite. So we could we quite like you to save the Silver Surfer for that? I mean, there's a chance that the Marvel deal could still be scuppered. Like, there's still what another twelve months of due diligence to go through. Yeah. So, in fairness to Fox, they have to pretend like it's not going to happen. You got to keep because, busy. Got to yeah. keep busy. <laughs> yeah, because you know. If if it doesn't happen and they haven't got stuff queued up, then they will be absolutely fucked. But that is the technical term. They will be fucked. Um, so, yeah, they have to keep projects on the go, but there's no chance. Like, assuming the Marvel deal is even close to happening, we're not going to see this film, are we? <laughs> Having said that, it still makes more sense developing this movie than another Fantastic Four movie right now. Yep. Because they was there a, screwed was... that up good and proper. What, did, weren't we talking about a Doctor Doom thing in development at some point? Yeah. Was that a thing? It, I think it was. The only <laughs> um, the only sensible thing to do with a Silver Surfer movie is to do the Dan Slott take. Uh, do do Norrin Rad as a spacefaring Doctor Who style adventurer with a human companion. Mm-hmm. Like that that series is so perfectly primed to be a movie. You could just pick that up. You could just pick up the first volume of, of that series and just adapt it into a movie. Yep. And it, it could be fantastic. The, I, the IP, I just think, is too valuable. Ahead of this big deal, I just... I I can't see why you would mess with it. Uh, it uh, you know, un- unless you think, ah, screw Disney. We'll just do what we want until... <laughs> I think what they're actually doing is, let's keep the shareholders happy because... Yeah, we've got to pretend we're doing stuff and that we have good prospects, and we aren't just sitting around waiting for Marvel to write the check. And it also might be a case that because of the complicated rights issues around the Fantastic Four, that they have to do something with the IP and have movies in active development to mm-hmm. hold on to the rights, because those rights will not revert back to Disney when, um, you know, if if that deal expired, they go back to whatever entertainment company is it Mirage Entertainment or something like that? I can't remember. But who, whoever the company are that own the Fantastic Four rights, this could very much be part of the, you know, the, the way to keep hold of them. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think we're going to see this. Um, a Fox movie I do think we're going to see, James, but you're a bit more sceptical, is X-Force, which is rumoured to start shooting in October. Uh, Drew Goddard has been working on this. He's, he's slated to direct. Now... You were of the mind that if this is a direct spin-off from Deadpool, it probably will happen. If it's not, yes. it won't. Yeah. I mean, I, what possible reason could you have for thinking it's not? <laughs> well, a Rex Force in Deadpool? Like, in what it way lo- is this going to be a Deadpool spin-off? Because the next Deadpool film has got Deadpool and Cable in it, and Deadpool and Cable are both famously members of X Force. I mean, I guess I don't I kind There's of that don't... shot, James, though, of them on the plane getting off the plane or in the back of the plane and there is Deadpool and Cable and Domino and a character played by Terry Crews and you're not hiring Terry Crews to come in and do a one-scene cameo. Yeah, That, that feels honestly, like a James, proto-X-Force team. Some, sometimes I feel like it's like you don't know anything about the X-Force. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, right, like my, my version of X-Force, like the version, you know, the original version doesn't have Deadpool as a member. Like... Deadpool is a shitty villain they introduced for a couple of Yeah, but of the issues. original version of the Justice League 
doesn't have Superman as a man. <laughs> well, that's like yeah, does, all I'm saying. <laughs> all I'm saying is when someone says X Force, I don't assume Ryan Reynolds will be in it. I um, assume it will be Cable and a bunch of supporting characters. Oh no! I think that this is a this is essentially Deadpool two point five. If this is Deadpool two point five, then yeah, of course it's going to happen because money. Or even, or I, I'm, even, I'm, it's an X Force movie where Deadpool's the villain. I could even see that. Frankly, Maybe I, I mean that I, would be more true to the original concept of the team. I would, which is what from, I'm after, obviously. <laughs> I would assume that from now on, Ryan Reynolds is going to be in literally every. Fox X-Men movie in some way or another <laughs> because uh, well as you said yeah. because money he's the extra character being added to New Mutants <laughs> it all, it all but, makes sense now but you could actually do you know what he's the one character who you could add to a movie by <laughs> and literally it would just the having him better, outside yeah. the frame commentating on it and not interacting with it and it would work yep. so there we go we cracked it Watch watch Fox now do that with all of their movies, whether they are comic book related or not. Just a snark. Or, a snark or it track. could be Gwenpool. It's like MST3K, but with Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> just just commenting on it. I mean, they, uh, they, they, they could actually, they could make a lot of money just re-releasing every film to cinemas with an MST3K style Deadpool commentary on it. Wow. Yeah. That is a that is a cash cow waiting to be milked. Well, I'm sure. I'm and, sure, and, I'm sure and Disney I will think, have it planned. I think we've earned a percentage of the royalties for coming up with it. Zero <laughs> percent. That's still a percent. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, okay, let's move uh, back over to DC um, to talk some Wonder Woman two, um, and all of the rumors around the movie have been that, as I pronounced it, cheetah, or as James pronounced it, cheetah. <laughs> Um, is going to be the villain slash antagonist of Wonder Woman 2. Um, and apparently Kristen Wiig is in talks to play the character. Um, I or as think I pronounce I re- it, Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig <laughs> is playing Cheetah in Wonder Woman 2. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, <laughs> uh, is, is Cheetah an interesting character? That, I should point out that was just me like twatting around. That's not actually how her name is. It's just Cheetah. No, but no, that is now... What we call the on the podcast um <clears throat> yes um what is she so i read a comic with cheetah and uh she was like she was an antagonist but she was kind of like uh sim- slightly sympathetic like tragic figure i think who was Which, like a, a yeah, form of a former friend what- of diana She's one of those characters who and dc've done it with a lot of their villains like Basically, if they've ever been in either the Suicide Squad or the Secret Six, then they will have been presented sympathetically to at least some degree at some point since the 1980s. Is pretty much the rule. For so, is it is that like your your um, Deadshot vibe? Yeah, and she's been in Suicide Squad. She was she was in the I'm pretty sure she was in the Ostrander um, original 80s Suicide Squad run for a bit. There've been a few different versions of the character as well. Like she, I mean, she goes back a long way. She is like one of Wonder Woman's oldest villains, but a different character in the costume in the one in the forties from the one there's been a couple since the eighties, and also a male version um, in in Phil Jimenez's run on on uh, on Wonder Woman. There was actually a, a male one. I'm trying to think if there's been an, another major comics character who started out as a female iteration and then had a male character take on the name and costume 
Um, oh, well, famously, there's He-Hulk. <laughs> Yeah. Mr. Octopus. <clears throat> what? <laughs> uh, but, this um, podcast has gone off the rails early. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I don't know a lot about the character because I, I have not read a lot of Wonder Woman comics in my life um, because I've, I've never gone back and read the, the Golden Age stuff that might be vaguely interesting and then none of the stuff between about 1950 and 1987 was particularly interesting. <laughs> Um, I think we have this conversation every time yeah. we cover Wonder Woman, which is like essentially you guys go, well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah. and then there's the stuff from 1987 to now, which is not that interesting. Not that interesting. No, well, just the George Perez stuff is is briefly interesting. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, in much the same way as the movie was the best interpretation of the character of Wonder Woman that that I've seen, uh, and I can't claim to be an authority. Chances are, if they have Kristen Wiig playing Cheetah, that would be a very good version of that character but i wouldn't necessarily look to the comics uh for any guidance on exactly how she'll be played i certainly don't think she would be the the 80s um woman with powers in an actual all over spotted cheetah style um you know like sort of i i don't i don't think it's actually a costume i think it's actually like on her body um, it probably will just more likely be a woman in a costume like the older version. She kind of strikes me as more of a secondary villain material. For a film, I would think so. As I say, in, in the history of Wonder Woman, she's definitely one of the major ones, but it doesn't seem like a character that would necessarily be a main villain in a movie. Guys, but I'm Wonder gonna, Woman doesn't I... really have a lot in the way of iconic villains. so I'm going to throw this out there about Kristen Wiig, and I... Uh, it's one of those arguments that I know even when I make it, it's like the Valkyrie thing. I know everyone's going to disagree with me before I say it. I, I just don't think she's a particularly good actress when playing straight roles. I, I've, I've, I, I'm looking at her IMDb. I didn't like her in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I know The Skeleton Twins was very acclaimed, but I didn't think she was fantastic in that. I didn't, I thought she was actively bad in The Diary of a Teenage Girl. I just don't buy her in those roles. And that might be something that I bring to it because I can't see past the, the, the kind of comedy version of her because in, in comedy roles, I think she is, um, an absolute genius and like, uh, I, I, I would watch any Kristen Wiig comedy in a in a heartbeat. Uh, I Do I don't I don't is, get it outside of this that. Would really, would be a, a role that would be played entirely straight, though. <laughs> I mean, Wonder Woman was pretty pretty earnest. It was yeah, but it had, it of... had comedy in it, and you know, Etta Candy was a, a it had yeah it, it had character. it had jokes, but I didn't. It, I I I don't know. I I struggle to see this fit. I could be completely wrong. The the talk around this was that Warner were interested in Emma, Stolf, Emma Stone for this role and that she passed and that Wig is uh, Patty Jenkins like number one choice uh, that this is like this is the, she's the one that Patty Jenkins specifically wanted for the they're role. They're not necessarily two actresses you would think that you would consider for the same role are they? I mean in fairness they're both like Emma Stone's good at comedy I mean, they're, I mean they're, yeah. they're, they're both great. I just think it's interesting, particularly given the age difference, um, that if you if you can't get Emma Stone for a role, you look to Kristen Wiig. That's that's an interesting swerve. I yeah, think. I mean, I can kind of see a Kristen Wiig cheater more than I can see an Emma Stone cheater. Yeah, I don't know. It's not something I can picture, and I wonder whether I mean it's been talked up as the villain role. 
Uh, but obviously, uh, you know, the villain of Wonder Woman was kind of obscured until we actually saw the movie. So maybe... He was uh, mostly you know. obscured by that helmet he wore, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll have to see what role Cheetah actually plays in Wonder Woman. Two. Uh, next piece of news. Uh, we're nearly done, honest guys. Uh, Gemma <laughs> Chan has been cast in Captain Marvel. So not Shazam. Captain Marvel, the the Marvel <laughs> one. Um, now she is apparently going to be playing the Cree spy Min Hyphen Erva. So it's like Minerva, but it's two words. Um, uh, what can you tell me about her? So Gemma Chan, obviously, I think best known for Humans. Um, I've got to say, I'm very worried that Jack Whitehall is going to turn up in the Marvel universe now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so well, so listeners who don't know, they're a couple in real life, aren't they? Yes, I don't really know Gemma Chan as an actress. I've seen I've seen her pop up in a in a few things like in in like small roles, but I didn't watch Humans, um, so I re- I really only know her for being like just ridiculously attractive. Like when she does show up in things, I'm just like, who is that? Who is that? <laughs> like it makes sense that in Humans she is what like the android of the of the perfect woman because she just has like the most ridiculously symmetrical features. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what what have I seen her in? Oh, she was in that episode of Sherlock. That's the thing. What I saw her in and Fresh Meat with her boyfriend Jack Whitehall. Um. Yeah. So tell tell me about Minerva then, rather than than Gemma Chan. There's there's really not a lot to tell you. Like she's but, a kind of seventies character from the Captain Marvel comics. Uh, geneticist and spy. For the Cree, yeah, just sort of hangs out in Cree stories occasionally. So obviously, so Captain Marvel, what what's his name? The uh, Captain Marvel, <laughs> Marvel, yeah, so yeah, Marvel Minerva. Um, Marvel is obviously going to be a part of this story, but not in the traditional sense because they're gonna they're gonna switch up slightly the the way that the origin happens. But so the implication is here that probably that the Kree have been on Earth for a while. And weirdly, the MCU has dealt with the Kree being on Earth for a while beforehand because um, <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did a bunch of Kree stuff, didn't they? Yep. I'm wonder... sure it will all get referenced. Yeah, I wonder how swiftly all of that will be forgotten slash oh, I've been wondering how they would finally tie Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. into the movies and, and bring it all in and make clear that it is part of the same universe. So I'm really glad that they'll be doing that. <laughs> you wait until Coulson shows up in Infinity War. Yeah. Coulson's dead. Why is he going to show up in Infinity War? <laughs> he couldn't even show up in the 10 years photo, James. Bloody <laughs> <laughs> Infinity War. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm just wondering what they say. If, if there is a Kree spy on Earth, it would stand to reason as well that the Skrulls have been here for a while because we think the Skrulls are the main villains of. Hang on, do Captain we think Marvel? the Skrulls are the main villains? Because I didn't think Marvel Studios had the rights no, to the yeah, ma- No, Marvel share the rights to the Skrulls. Uh, okay. Yes. And I think, Fox, uh, Fox have specific Skrulls, and yes. Marvel have <laughs> Skrulls generally. Uh, the Skrulls were in that uh, teaser image that was uh, that showed the full Captain Marvel costume at Comic-Con last uh, year. Right. Um, okay, so uh, I've got an important question, actually, in light of that. And James, I'd like you to go away and find this out and, and have an answer for us on the next <laughs> podcast. Go on. Who owns the rights to Skrull John Lennon? <laughs> Uh, ooh, that's tough. Is it Yoko Ono? 
I think uh, I think it's original Paul McCartney, but he was obviously killed and replaced with Skrull. <laughs> Paul McCartney. I know, but, but the, 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 the other three Skrull Beatles are dead, but Skrull John survived and became a collaborator with humanity and so went then, to work for MI13. So who died and was replaced? Was it Paul McCartney or Skrull Paul McCartney? <laughs> uh, Paul McCartney was replaced by Skrull Paul McCartney, as they all were. <laughs> but then he but died then the and others, was replaced by the a... Look-alike of Skrull by Paul a, McCartney. By, by a, a Skrull Billy Shears, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are hitting some real niches today, you guys. I can only imagine the listening figures are going to skyrocket. That's all right. These are my favourite ones. If, if we were House to Astonish, th- this episode would be titled Skrull Billy Shears. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not, and it's not, and it's called Superman 3. Um, and we'll get there in a minute. Uh, there is do one- we have to? <laughs> there is one last piece of news. I've been itching to do this movie, you guys. Itching. I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm positively I'm, I'm scratching all all various areas of my body. I'm cutting that out. Um <laughs> uh, the last piece of news is that the Avengers has changed its release date. Not in the UK. Uh it's still coming out April 27th. Uh but around the world it's going to be released on April 27th everywhere so rather than as is the case with most marvel movies we in the uk and in some other territories get them a week sometimes 10 days two weeks before north america um and certain regions get it you know much later marvel have announced that it's going to be you know have a global release date which i think feels appropriate for a movie of this size It, it, it is nice and appropriate i saw i saw someone say does this mean that there are such massive spoilers um, that you know they can't let it be out there for a week before it comes out in America. I don't think that's the case purely because if that was the case, they would have realised that before now. <laughs> you know, well, like, maybe they maybe they maybe they were gone, struggling oh, to make it happen, and that they've they've ma- they finally managed to kind of like yeah. move the heavy machinery and 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 make it work. Because I mean, I- I'm expecting there is something here because the nearer and nearer we get to Infinity War coming out. And not knowing the title of Avengers 4. If it's called Infinity Gauntlet, and the spoiler is just, oh yeah, Thanos assembles the gauntlet. I think that's what everyone's assuming anyway. Uh, But maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something more to it. Who knows? Maybe we're watching Scroll Thanos this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) And real Thanos will be revealed in the Captain Marvel movie. (laughs) Who knows? I just thought this was, I thought it was pretty cool. um, that, That the whole world is getting it at the same time. And yeah, no, I, you'll th- be able I think to I have this global you know, conversation of the movie. As, as as people who do a podcast where we tend to release it in line with the UK release date, and then a week or two later, all the Americans go, "Oh, hey, we're getting this movie now." It is going to be quite nice to have that that big moment for everybody. Yeah, because when our millions of US listeners f- download it a couple of weeks later, it's really satisfying to see that <laughs> to see that, that massive spike. spike in the figures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, look, America. Look, look. <laughs> I was going to say, hello both of our American listeners. <laughs> Hi, One Caroline. Is a, is a guest on the podcast. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll move on now to our spoiler-filled discussion of Superman 3. Uh, but before we get there, let's play a trailer for the movie. Or let's play a clip for the movie. Let's see what Seb finds. This episode of Cinematic Universe is brought to you by our backers on Patreon. 
if you head on over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe uh, you will see that we have revised our rewards and tiers system on there and one of the changes we have made is that if you back us at the $20 level we will plug something of your choice in this special section here the this episode is brought to you by slot so if you have a look, think, is there anything you would like us to promote on a future episode, then you can throw some cash our way via Patreon. And this is the point in the podcast where we will tell all of our listeners that this episode is brought to you by you. When it's time for adventure... It's time for Superman. Alexander Salkine presents Christopher Reeve and Richard Pryor in Superman 3. This time, Richard Pryor has come to Metropolis. Oh, I'm sorry. And he's got something to sell. <laughs> he's the best con man and the world's greatest computer genius. Let me tell you something. I can't ski! But then he falls. For a scheme to turn the ultimate computer into the ultimate weapon. Well, what would it do for me? It would do anything you tell me to tell it to do. A machine so powerful. Baby! It's daddy! It can control the earth. Now, getting down to business. Change the weather. Now something. You're a genius. And reprogram Superman. Thought you'd never get here. Well, I hope you don't expect me to save you, because I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Superman 3. Uh, watch the trees. <laughs> this time is going to be the best time of all. Okay, so let's... Uh, we're ready to go. Let's get talking about Superman 3. Um, which I think is going to, uh, all jokes aside, I think is going to be a very interesting discussion because I think the three of us are all approaching this movie from wildly different points of view. Um, I mean, you say that James, James and I were, were just talking about it a little bit off mic before, um, before you came on. And, um, I think we both have the, a shared experience that you may not have because you're younger than us which means that actually this, this film I, I have a long and complicated relationship with this film but where it starts is that growing up in the 80s this is the superman film that was always on tv yeah. were you guys and alive when this movie came out only just i was born at the end of 82 were you born in 83 james no september 82 Okay. Yeah, I didn't realise you were older than me. I thought you were younger. Guys are so old. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we were just we were you know uh, very small when it came out, but we were um, you know five or six or seven when it reached a point where it started to be shown on TV a lot on ITV. Um, on ITV, yeah. And I'm fairly certain. You know, I, I've talked. I've kind of talked before about my memories of getting into Superman, and I don't know whether I read a Superman comic first or saw the movie first. But either way, the first Superman movie, movie I saw was this film. And I have a feeling this film was my first exposure to Superman full stop. Yeah. And then the John Byrne Superman stuff was happening and getting reprinted in British reprint comics. And I read that afterwards. 
Um, uh, but I had a Superman costume that my parents bought me that I think was as a direct result of watching and loving this movie over and over again. Um, and it is really weird for this film to be your first exposure to Superman. <laughs> but because of that, there is a lot that I can't shake about, you know, it, you, the, uh, we'll get into them, but you know, there are set pieces that this film has and things that Superman does in this film that for me are unshakable images of Superman, like mm. freezing the lake and, and drop, dropping it to put out a fire. And it's having like, sex with Pamela Stevenson. And and having sex with, with uh, Lady Connolly, yeah. Um, <laughs> but... And then obviously, you know, I reached a point with Superman and, and with my comics fandom in general of, of becoming a teenager and being very serious about things and deciding that, you know, this is the worst Superman movie because, you know, at least <laughs> Superman 4, while it's it completely incompetently made, was, was trying to be sincere, whereas this was trying to be a comedy and was such a stupid, you know, um, uh, betrayal of everything that a Superman movie should be and blah, 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 blah. Um, and since then, I've come back around to it a little bit more. Um, and where I'm at with it now is that I think that at times, and I genuinely believe that that there are points in this film where it's the best Superman film. And then there are other points in this film where it is the worst Superman film. But there is a big criticism. I've already kind of alluded to it. There is a big criticism that people have of this film that I now do not think is a valid criticism. Uh, but we'll come to that. <laughs> okay, so my so my take on this movie is most so I, I again I I saw this movie on TV when I was a kid. Um, I I think I probably saw all of them on TV because even even when I was a kid, a full like nearly <laughs> you a had de- Sky when you were a, a kid decade. in like two thousand and three. Oh, so you know, Seb Seb, as a fellow <laughs> working class Northerner, you should understand that Sky did not reach Leeds. Um, <laughs> Sorry, cable. <laughs> that was that was for the people on the right side of the tracks. Um I watched Ladybird last week. What a movie. Um <laughs> I so yeah, I I saw this movie when I was getting TV. Um and it, you know, it was, it was, oh, that's uh, that's Superman. Oh, it's oh, it's Superman fine. I, I don't have a problem with the comedy at all. And I don't think it, for me it doesn't seem like a betrayal. It just doesn't for me have the epic kind of wonder of the first movie it doesn't have some of the iconic stuff um that the second movie has and i think it has different iconic stuff though that's the thing well yeah (laughs) but it doesn't it doesn't feel on the same it it certainly doesn't move me on uh, it on the same level that the second movie does and i just i just think i come away from this movie going like at least the fourth one is such a you know is such an unholy mess. Is this is the thing? It's the one Superman movie that I don't walk away from and go, oh, I want to read about everything that was going on behind the scenes when this that when this film was being made. Uh, there's just there's just nothing on the screen that that yeah, intrigues I, I me know, enough I, that I, I want I, to see I, all the hear all the I best. find how they got to the point of making this as this film quite interesting. Not just the Richard Pryor thing, but generally decisions about what this movie does and where it goes. You you might be right that I I I'm, I actually I don't know all of that stuff. Uh, so I'm looking forward to you t- telling me about it. But watching the film itself doesn't make me want to find all that stuff out. But watching the first two and and watching the fourth one that I it does. Um, <laughs> And I, I think there are, I think there are, are, there are things to admire about this movie. I think Christopher Reeve is uh, amazing in it. I, I think there's some, like you say, interesting set pieces, interesting stuff done with the character of Superman. 
Um, but just for for long stretches of the movie, it feels like the movie, there are, there are no kind of like peaks and troughs. It just plods along. For <laughs> See, I think long there are. Stretches. I think it is nothing but peaks and troughs. <laughs> so welcome back to I, I, there is never a point in this film where I think, yeah, that was all right. I'm either going, oh, that was pretty <laughs> this is great, great or, or what the hell's going on? <laughs> cringing with embarrassment. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, James, I okay, you slightly stole my thunder. By saying that you thought it was quite uh, like quite funny, because that's where I ended up. Like I wasn't enjoying it until I was like, I'm "Just going to imagine that this is a Superman comedy film." Well, that's what it is. Well, yeah, but like when I was treating it as if it was the same kind of sort of superhero epic as the first two, I was thinking like, "This is absolutely crazy." But once I went, actually, I'm just going to enjoy it on the level. Uh, it's Superman with Richard Pryor doing his comedy stuff. I see. So I then, don't mind. Okay, so then I completely it like not... got on board with it, and I was like, actually, I'm quite enjoying this now. See, my... I don't. I don't mind that it's trying to be funny. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind that it's trying to be funny. I don't think it is funny. This, 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 this is my point really, which is that people criticise this because they say, oh well, what they did with Superman three was having done the first two films, they decided to make Superman three a Richard Pryor comedy, and it totally ruined it. No, no, no. no. The re- and the reason even more so why I've come around to not thinking that's a bad thing is in the wake of something that happened this year where the third movie in a superhero yeah. franchise was given <laughs> over to being a comedy film done around the comedic sensibilities of a funny comedian. And it was great. Now, so that's why I don't think there's anything inherently wrong in 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 concept with making a Superman comedy film. I think it looks weird in 1983... Because there was no conception back in 1983 that yeah. a superhero movie would be anything other than a superhero when, movie. When but, your model is the first two Supermen films. Yeah, exactly. And you've got nothing else. Now, we know that, super, as we've said many times, it should be the motto of the podcast, superhero is not a genre. Um, and a movie can be about superheroes and can be in all kinds of different genres and do all kinds of different things, including a comedy and from Guardians of the Galaxy to Thor Ragnarok, we've seen how great that can be. The problem with Superman 3, for me, is that the parts where it's being a comedy are not funny. Now, there are, I, I, there are bits. There are lots of bits that are like properly funny, though. I'll tell you, there, there, there is, to jump right ahead, there is one moment that absolutely makes me laugh out <clears> loud that is, I just think, is so wonderfully hilarious and brilliant and so well played, and it's the Olympic torch moment. That is <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like fucking that. funny, and the timing of it and everything, <laughs> it's wonderful. I really um, like the Leaning Tower of Pisa thing, especially because of the callback. Like, it's so It's, it's so, so ridiculous, camp, but, it's, but it's, it's, so thing, funny. it's one of the things you remember from this film. The problem I have generally is that it is a waste of Richard Pryor, because we know that Richard Pryor is a gifted comedian, but almost everything with him trying to be funny is dreadful and what's annoying about him and his character is that if you try and drill it down there is something a bit interesting about how gus is this guy on benefits that the system has chewed up and spat out who is trying to sort of kick back against corporate america there's almost something interesting there but the film doesn't get there because it just has a load of stupid scenes with him doing a load of stupid voices and those bits just i as i say i don't blame them for trying to be funny i don't think that's what's wrong with them i think it's that they don't succeed because when the film does succeed at being funny a few times it's great i 
for me, it's not it's not just the comedy for me though. There's a lot of the stuff that the movie is playing straight. Um, a lot of the Amnetto Tool stuff that I just oh right, this is where we're going to disagree just, then. I this just, is where we are going to massively disagree. I just <laughs> fall asleep because I like Annette Tool as an actress. Um, I mean, I I, I wish her son had been. Well, killed no, by that combine harvest. Yeah. It, it'd be great if he just dies. He's he's terrible. But apart from him, I think all of, all of the best stuff in this movie, apart from the junkyard scene, revolves around uh, Clark and and Lana. I think it's fantastic because nah. I think Annette O'Toole is brilliant. I think I think she is better as a performance, and the character is far more interesting. The Margot Kid as Lois. I think the relationship that she has with Clark is so much more interesting because she likes Clark. She's not interested in Superman, and and Superman hits on her, and she's not interested. And I really like that. And I really like. There's lots of just great chemistry and subtle moments between the when you've just got the two of them on screen and that like that stuff um, at and after the reunion. Um, I saw it pointed out that it's a little bit weird that like they're having like an 18 year high school reunion because it's like the <laughs> class of 1965 in 1983 what's the point of that um but no I, I i really like that stuff i think that stuff works great and i th- I just think she's fantastic and her and christopher reeve work so well together maybe christopher reeve is a bit like gal gadot in that anyone he's on screen with he just has amazing chemistry with but um I like. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just, I, I, really I like him the, in the movie. I think the strongest thread separately. throughout this movie is the Lana stuff. I think she's great. Uh, I mean, I, for I, me, that's the stuff I like the least because, like, I'm with Joe. I I think it's kind of dull, and also, like, I don't feel like they really resolve the Clark and Lois stuff satisfactorily. Because yeah, that, <laughs> well, yeah, but I was I was watching the movie, going like, why is Clark Kent trying to like get his leg over with this like his high school girlfriend? Like, what the hell's going on? Like. What Lois is out of town, so he's lost interest. Well, like no, it just it to, rang after, untrue after to me. After Superman two, he can't be with Lois. Yeah, and but... also Lois isn't interested in him as Clark. She's only interested in him as Superman. <laughs> and Margot Kidder isn't interested in this movie. Well. <laughs> well, it just for me, like for the character, it feels like he's in love okay, with well... her, and that has not been resolved. But like, I don't want to see Clark Kent trying to get a pity fuck out of someone. Okay, like it just feels Sin- wrong. <laughs> Since we're talking about love interests, I feel like this is an opportune time to talk about how this movie could have been so much worse. Um, so, do you want to hear about the original treatment that Ilya Salkind wrote for this? Film, Let's do it. You Let's do it. You read it. Um, so, the original treatment that was written um, had Brainiac and Mr. Mixes Pitlick as the villains, and I'm going to come back to them because when I read that that was the case, I thought, oh, I can really see a version of this movie where the plot (laughs) makes sense because those characters are involved. But as soon as you take them out of the same basic plot of this movie, the plot falls apart. Because again, I keep saying we'll get onto this, but I genuinely think that the overall plot of this movie is so incredibly stupid and has so many incredibly stupid moments that don't make sense and the worst things about this film are when it's doing the plot about the computers but you can make it all make sense by putting in Brainiac and Mr. Mixes Pitlet because you just make it magic then so so I, I read that and I thought oh, okay I can see how the film got to that point you have Brainiac you have a supercomputer and then you take Brainiac out of it and you're just left with the supercomputer that's not the case the plot is completely different 
Uh, but the biggest change is that it also included Supergirl. Um, so <laughs> in, <laughs> you are right to say, uh-oh. What's interesting is that the, the, the treatment opens by talking about the fact that they essentially can't have Lois Lane in it. Um, so the, you know, the Margot Kidder thing was already definitely a thing by this point. It says the story could start with a pre-title sequence showing Clark learning that Lois Lane is asked to be transferred as a correspondent to one of the foreign offices associated with the Daily Planet. Blah de blah de blah de blah. Um, it does then introduce Lana Lang as the new star reporter at the Daily Planet and says, we see Clark being quite impressed with Lana Lang and they immediately take a liking to each other. Um, that's not where it's going though. Uh, because where it's going is that it goes and sets up, um, that Supergirl, escaped from Krypton and then landed on Brainiac's planet um, and then was raised by Brainiac from birth, essentially, like as a baby to an adult, uh, with Brainiac being like a surrogate father and loving her as a father, but then decide then when she becomes an adult, falling in, in romantic love with her as an adult. Uh, I was with this story up until that point. <laughs> this is um, Star Trek Discovery. So she she rejects him and and leaves and leaves his planet and lands uh, on Earth as an adult um, and becomes a teacher and is and is kind of living in secret. Meantime, Superman emerges. So then, Supergirl, um, as it says, sooner or later, Supergirl will reveal her powers by solving a local threat, which will make her known to Superman and the world. Uh, we will see Superman's reaction when he learns about this new superheroine from the media. He's obviously puzzled and needs to know more about her. To do this, he poses as a petty criminal to see how she'll react, to see basically whether she's good or evil. This sounds great up to this point. She, of course, immediately comes to the rescue and finds him out. The look between the two will tell the audience that they have magically fallen in love. Oh. There, is, there is then conversation trying to find out if they are related. And they are not. <laughs> then there is an idyllic sequence of Superman and Supergirl climbing up to seventh heaven. Wow. Well, uh, and I'm not going to go into Christ, the we get a of Superman, in this movie. <laughs> but I mean, seriously. That doesn't so if sound you think the movie that doesn't sound where... demonstrably worse to the movie I saw. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Plot-wise, plot-wise, it just feels like um like it makes as little sense as this, but it has some comic book nonsense to entertain me. I I I would rather have the movie where Superman sleeps with Pamela Stevenson than the movie where he sleeps with Supergirl. I've got yeah. to say that, like, even though they admit they're not related in that treatment, I just I cannot see. No, I cannot yeah. see me enjoying a film where that happens, <laughs> and it not being the butt of everyone's jokes for the next, you know, fifty mm. years. <laughs> it's interesting that they went from that to something that was. So, oh, well, how is Mixel gonna? I can. I still can't say it. How is he going to? So Mixia Pitlick, who was... If it's easier, Joe, played... just say it backwards. <laughs> um, who was going to be played by Dudley Moore. Um... Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that. Um, it's He just kind of turns up as a villain in the second half of the story, basically. Great. Fine, um, yeah. On board. Yeah. But the thing, like I say, it's the bit, the bit in this when all the crazy haywire stuff is going on with the computer... I watched that and I was like, oh, that's Mixia's Pitalik causing havoc on Earth. And this whole thing about, because really where this film makes no sense is Gus being a genius with computers <laughs> for no apparent Yeah, because that's not a thing that you can be. Yeah, you can't. You, could, you, 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 just, you can't innately understand computers. That's just not 
That's not uh, possible. I was I was willing to buy the nonsense with that, but, but then but then and, I had and his to whole thing follow, about knowing I had how to, to build follow it. the the I had to follow the Columbia stuff, and that there was I, it wasn't maybe not even that it didn't make sense. It was just really boring. No, I mean yeah, it's, it, what's quite interesting is is how tame and boring um webster's plot is like that that's not the part that's silly i mean it's no beachfront property (laughs) the stuff the stuff that's silly is um you know just his his connection with computers and yet all you need is for him to have been like possessed by brainiac (laughs) Brainiac, who's from this far off planet or whatever and like brainiac is basically in his brain making him driving him to a point where he will build this computer which is brainiac Mm -hmm. you literally only need about five lines of dialogue in the entire (laughs) film to make that part of the plot we should get uh, just we should get joss whedon to do a cut (laughs) so seb how did they go from doing the first two movies which have uh luther and general zod and have a jor-el and the um, Fortress of Solitude and all of that kind of like stuff ripped from the comics to doing a third movie that basically Lana Lang aside doesn't really introduce anything new from Superman lore and then just and the stuff it does add is kind of I mean I don't know if Ross Webster's an actual villain or not but he's just basically a businessman and the, and then you've got the the comedy character played by Richard Pryor like it just it it does feel like such a weird left turn, especially if the movie you were pro- prepping had like three major characters from Superman <laughs> lore being planned to be in it, and then you end up with none of them. So how how did the movie end up as this? I mean, I mean, I don't the thing know. I know is that Richard Pryor said he loved Superman well, two on a chat show. Yeah, <laughs> and they went, oh, we'll have that then because that's going to make us money. It's basically it, yeah. It's, as soon as you shoehorn in Richard Pryor, it it turns into something else essentially. It does remind me, actually, of the um, of the Star Trek movies. Um, the the kind of the the production history of the Star Trek movies from <laughs> from the motion picture onwards is is bonkers because there is there are all of these ideas flying around and there are all of these egos involved. And when I say all of these egos, there is William Shatner's ego and kind of all of the talent around him. So kind of there was there was weird stuff going on that like, oh, Leonard Nimoy got to direct a movie. Well, then I must direct a movie. And if I can't direct a movie, I'm going to need this or I'm going to need that or I'm not going to return. Um, and in the middle of all of that is the fact that one of the biggest movie stars in the world, Eddie <laughs> Murphy, is an enormous Star Trek fan and wants to appear in the, in the Star Trek series. <laughs> and th- there was going to be a movie where Eddie Murphy joined the crew of the Enterprise. Um, and it, it uh, from what I can remember, um, it didn't happen because of kind of the egos involved and that Shatner wasn't going to see like this guy come in and steal his family. <laughs> yeah, someone bigger um, than Shatner. But I think Murphy just wanted to come in and play it straight because he just loved Star Trek. Um, I mean, it's like the the movie he was going to be in was Star Trek Four, which the the best one. Well, you know, one of arguably the best one. It's the, the my favorite is Six, but I can Four definitely has the widest appeal. I, um, I will. I, I mean, we're I'll, finding I'll, ways to not talk about Superman Three. <laughs> well, no, this, I'll go. This, I'll go four. I'll go four two six. Four two six in my top three. No, six in that, in that six two four. Um, <laughs> There's kind of a parallel here, which is that 4 is, like, the comedy Star Trek movie. And it's great. And it is great, yeah. Because I've been watching the original series recently. and um, (laughs) That could uh, use some laughs. 
any well, no no because they do they do occasionally go off and do these comedy episodes and Shatner hams it up too much but like Nimoy and um uh DeForest Kelly are just <laughs> a, a genius straight men always mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i mean Scotty hams it up as well but yeah they they're, they're regularly entertaining when they go full on comedy How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit juvederm.com. That's j u v e d e r m.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um and the mo- and the movie kind of recognizes that and gives them an amazing fish out of water adventure. Um So yeah, uh, yeah, there are, the, the parallels are there that th- this movie has gone Let's do Superman, but let's be funny this time. Except it, it does get caught in it because they don't really give Superman or Clark Kent anything funnier to do than he was really getting in the previous movies. He, well, he, he has gets, all the he physical comedy Clark Kent stuff. Bumbling, doesn't he? Yeah. But then he also has like the bit where he's evil Superman. I was going to say, he, he, he gets absolutely he gets hilarious. Superman. Yeah. And like. It should have been a whole movie, like yeah. one sequence. I would happily great, watch the whole movie. Let's see the film. And this is the, people call it evil Superman. He's not evil. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just, just a dick. dick. He's and a bored that's what's dick. Great about it. Yeah, it's just, it's not that you know he's not going around. He's not General Zod. He's not decided to go around and kill people. He's just decided to just be an arsehole. Can I throw this out there as well, you guys? He becomes sexy Superman. <laughs> I did notice, like <laughs> his hairstyle, especially stubble. becomes Ooh. modern. It was he's like well a... ahead of his time. He's got a little bit of the grain temples. 
He's got the well, stubble. Well, he's shadow. He reminds me a bit yeah. of when Don Draper gets drunk in Mad Men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he suddenly gets a bit sort of greasy and a bit cool. Yeah, I loved yeah. it. I, 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 yeah, you're right. That that for me that is the that is the well, standout you- stretch of this movie. Again, slightly undermined by not making a lick of sense. <laughs> Oh, we've created this compound. Oh, cool. Is it kryptonite? Kind of, but not. Okay. And and what's it doing to him? We don't know. We thought it was going to do something different, but it's doing this. All right. And like, and, and Seb, I, you're, you're, you're going to be angry. I will preempt that by saying it is the standout sequence of the movie when Clark Kent fights Superman. But that whole sequence doesn't make a lick of sense. Like what you're watching. It's it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I know it's a metaphor, <laughs> but in the plot of the movie, it doesn't make any fucking yeah, sense. He just I like, he gets I the had to... tonight, and then he splits in two, and then he fights himself, and then it's over, and that's the end of it. Yeah, and I was you know watching what, it do you know going... why it doesn't matter? Because it's fucking brilliant. It yeah, is. They just, was... You could have done One that sequence, the... though, and like had it make sense thematically with the movie. Well, were, I, I was watching two, it going. I understand. I understand the metaphor that's going on here, but how is it actually <laughs> functioning in the narrative of the movie? And about, I would say, ten minutes into this, how long's it? Forty-two minute scene. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh th- no, it doesn't fit into the logic of the movie. It is just, it's a, just a cool. Met- it's just a metaphor fight, and even like the logic in the fight. I mean, Superman kills Clark Kent like three times, and then Clark Kent kills <laughs> Superman, and then the fight is over. I mean, it's more cheating than went on in Black Panther as well as I'm concerned. <laughs> the thing about it is, aside from just being a fantastic sequence and, and you know, a great idea and just a great scene because you, two versions of Christopher Reeve in, in a scene fighting each other, it is just amazing. It is one of the absolute greatest scenes in any superhero film. But I also really admire it as a piece of filmmaking. And I think, you know, Richard Lester generally uh, does not get, uh, does not have a, a good reputation for doing the Superman films because he's the guy who came in and made Superman 2 less good by making it less Richard Donnery <laughs> and then he's the guy who made Superman 3 a comedy and I don't think he's particularly renowned for being technically a very great or stylish director but this is a scene in a in a 1983 film with two versions of a character played by the same actor yeah. um having a, a choreographed fight action sequence where frequently they are grabbing each other and there's like one moment towards the very end um, where you can... It's it's when uh, bad Superman picks up Clark Kent to throw him and you can just see that they've done a bit of green screen CSO there. <laughs> but other than that, the use of well-timed cuts and body doubles, it's a great piece of filmmaking because you don't see the joins. You never look at... There is not a single moment, I was watching it closely this time around, where you go, oh, that's a Christopher Reeve body double. Because actually, you just you totally buy into it. It's such a well-made sequence, and mm-hmm. nowadays you just do that with CG, essentially. <laughs> um, so it's a lost art. It's a lost art, really isn't it? About it. Practical effects. Yeah, well, it's like it's like when I look back at 1980s episodes of Red Dwarf, and like the Me Squared episode of Red Dwarf. Ed <laughs> by uh, as far as TV comedy directors go, nobody could shoot a split screen the way that Ed By could. He, he was a master <laughs> at doing it. Now who's not talking about Superman 3? <laughs> <laughs> I, do, like, I do think this sequence, we should kind of apologise to Zack Snyder, because it ends with Clark Kent murdering Superman. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Uh, is is there any way that in the logic of the movie, Seb, like, because what? So what is? I, I is, would is say, it, is it is it kryptonite? Like, what's? And I'm not saying I'm not getting saying to you, like, oh, explain to me based on comics what's actually. I'm saying like in in this movie's idea of what is happening. Superman has been given a green compound. It's, yeah. Well, it's, it's already, in pure kryptonite, already, so it just has yeah. a different effect. Yeah. And we've already seen kryptonite in the Superman movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. So And and it was green, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although, so really, in my memory cr- of this film, that kryptonite was red. Is that in Superman 4? No. I don't no, know I don't why I remembered that is, then. Um, or the, there's a crystal in Superman 4 that's green. Mm, is it weird. red in Returns? No, I don't think I don't any of the films so. have had red kryptonite in. But the yeah. the closest the closest analogy for this in the comics would be red kryptonite. You could imagine a storyline where an evil Superman is created because of red kryptonite. So and he gets fact, given he um, gets given a kryptonite thing. It turns him not evil, <laughs> but yeah, it turns him indifferent, and he loses the ability to shave, and <laughs> he flies around. He's a bit of a dick for a moment. Um. And then has a metaphorical fight with himself, at the end of which he is able to not have the effects of the kryptonite anymore. Yeah, so the fight is just <laughs> a metaphor for his body rejecting... For his the, inner struggle, yeah. The, you know, the, the illness that he's got. I like to imagine that for the entirety of that junkyard <laughs> fight, what's actually happening is that Superman is passed out in that bar <laughs> where he was drunk. Oh, no, I like to imagine it's like, um, it's like the Footloose barn scene. It's like Kevin Bacon angry dancing. And that's what <laughs> Superman's doing around... He's just... Bouncing around a junkyard, fighting yes. himself in his mind. Yeah, I can, I can, I can go with that. I can buy a that. mix between Footloose and Fight Club is what I'm imagining. <laughs> if we, I, I think if we, if we've already given up all hope of actually going through this film chronologically and talking about it, we can do um, it a little bit. Um, the other thing that I think is brilliant in the Superman goes evil stuff, which I don't think gets enough credit, is <laughs> the first scene after he's been given the kryptonite in Smallville and he's in Lana's house and there is a moment which is honestly like one of Christopher Reeve's best moments in the role. It is up I there spotted this with, as well, yeah. Yeah, it's up there with the bit when he straightens his back and mm-hmm. takes off his glasses in the first film and it's when um, she says, oh, you, you, you've got to go, There's there's been an accident and he just says, oh, it's no problem, I always get there in time and there is just this pause and this look and he suddenly becomes, without even really changing his face, he just mm-hmm. becomes so creepy, yep. and it hangs in the air, and it's brilliant. It's it's like just legitimately brilliant, and that whole so, scene, like the the body language and everything about that scene, him sitting on her sofa, and it's not played in an overly draped, creepy way. It's just this it's just is that really he's weird. uncomfortably close. Yeah, and just all of a sudden, Superman is sitting there, looking like Superman, looking like Christopher Reeve, in his Superman costume. In a tight costume. Acting like a, an ordinary human being, being a little bit over-familiar and creepy. And it's it's great. It's such a good scene. Seb, I'm already thinking, I, I seem to remember you saying this before, that you think that this is actually Reeve's best performance as Superman. 
I think for I think for moments like that it is. I think you can't you, no, you can't beat the first film. You can't beat everything he does in the first film. And it's I always come back to it. I've already just referenced it, but it's that moment where he takes off yeah, the glasses yeah. in the first film is, you know, and and all and his charm in the first film is you know, unassailable. But I think this runs it close. I think it could because he has moments like that. I think the problem is maybe he doesn't have enough of that stuff and there's a lot of this film where he is just turning up as superman and just just being superman just be- and it's fine he does- because he's never not brilliant that's the thing he's just great know. isn't he and the fact that he is in this movie playing three different versions <laughs> who as you say with body language alone you would know exactly who you're watching at any point yes yeah. that's, that's phenomenal and he's he's the reason why decades on all of these movies remain watchable to an extent yeah um because you can't have christopher reeve on screen in this role um and not be engaged even when i'm slightly zoning out with the (laughs) with the lana lang stuff in this movie i'm I'm, I'm, i'm i'm not actually checked out i'm just like not quite as engaged as i was otherwise because because he's just so good um yeah and 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 it's it's something that it's it's rare in superhero cinema. We've said it's it, it's kind of been recaptured a, a few times, and I think right now we've got Chris Evans and Gal Gadot uh, mm. eliciting some of the similar emotions. Uh, and I wonder whether Chadwick Bo- Boseman might be on the way to doing that for a lot of people as well. Um, I, I, I hope I hope he is for some people. He's not really for me. <laughs> I just no, I, characters, I, you know, <laughs> least interesting thing about his own film. Um, well, we had that discussion on the podcast. and <laughs> Yeah, um, if you'd bother to turn up. <laughs> I've all made, made a, a very strong case against that. Um, God, I wish I had had the time since then to go back and watch that movie. Unfortunately, I sat in last night watching Superman 3 instead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I still I still did kind of, I did enjoy revisiting this movie uh because you know it must it must have been 20 years since i last saw this and mm-hmm. i probably didn't i probably never watched it start to finish all the way through either um <laughs> so yeah it was it was it was fun and you know there are there are still like there are still even in this movie that doesn't really work iconic moments i do want to take a slightly chronologically but uh, just just through maybe like some of the as as you said, said the peaks and troughs of the movie. I think when I when I was referring to it all feeling a bit flat, it was just like it's all it was all just like, especially for about an hour in the middle, just plodding along before you get to Evil Superman. Anyway, just like oh, we're back with Robert Wagner again. Like not, he's not bad. I, I quite like quite a lot of the performances in this movie, but I was just like, oh, we're just. Well, I was trying to think. Yeah. Rob, Robert, Robert Vaughan is, is... Oh, Robert Vaughan. I said Robert Wagner, didn't I? Always I? Get that Robert, when I was reading those stories about Robert Wagner, I was like, oh, really? Was Robert Vaughan? Like, and then, no. Yeah. Rob, Robert Vaughan did not murder anybody. Robert Vaughan um, as Ross Webster. Yeah. Um, well, one, there's an interesting thing about him, which is that he is basically playing the 1980s version of Lex Luthor <laughs> right. four years before the 1980s version of Lex Luthor existed. Um, although he's not, he's not actually because because people make that comparison and it's true to an extent. But 1980s businessman Lex Luthor was straight up murderously evil under the surface, which Webster isn't really. He be, kind of becomes that over the course of the film, but he doesn't start out as a "I am going to crush everybody" 
and it doesn't matter if I well, they, actually this is something I was about to this is something I was about to say which is that the film really gets going for me like plot wise at least when he like his plan gets thwarted by Superman and he's like okay let's like sort this shit out and it's like that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah. until almost 45 he, minutes into the film he and it's like that should have been 10 15 minutes in he gets a line which um i can't tell if this is intentionally funny or not i find it funny but i don't know if the film meant it that way or not but either way it doesn't matter because i find it funny and it's when the kryptonite hasn't worked and he's on the phone to to Gus. <laughs> yeah. And he says, I asked you to kill Superman, and you couldn't even do that one simple thing. <laughs> I think I mean I, I, I like him a lot in this. I think I think he's having really great fun. And I think I think actually He's just one of a bunch of characters who doesn't make sense. No. <laughs> a lot doesn't make sense. I did like that he had his two um, like female sidekicks who were Yeah, although there is something really like right his sister is a fairly ordinary looking woman but like there's about 20 jokes in this film as if she's like this hideous monster and it's like she's not she's a yeah, bit of a it battle was, axe, it was the but, 80s uh, well yeah yeah <laughs> But I mean, so likewise, Pamela, it's like, a 1980s movie. We should be thankful there's not any homophobia. In it, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, yeah. Pamela Stevenson James. is kind of presented as the opposite of that. But yeah. you're sort of watching, going like, "This is ridiculous." Well, I was, I was trying to figure out what they were trying to do with that character. So <laughs> she is, she is dressed up as like the blonde bimbo with the high pitched voice and the and the boobs out and the kind of. A, a kind of a ridiculous cliche and then the joke is that she's actually really smart and but she's concealing that from webster but why is she concealing that's the thing that like that webster? that is a really funny idea but it needs a payoff and it didn't yeah. have a payoff it reads more like pamela stevenson went i'm not playing this fucking idiot like <laughs> well, this how is, about this, this? The thing, actually the the, the the way it works is in quite a meta way but requires you to know who Pamela Stevenson is. <laughs> Quite. And knowing that Pamela Stevenson's shtick was that she was a comedy actress who generally played exactly that type of character because she was an attractive blonde woman who actually is also really intelligent in real life. It works as a parody of herself, mm -hmm. but I don't think the movie's going and no, and it's, no, it's not. And it still needs a punchline. Uh, or, or it still needs a payoff, and it and it doesn't have either. Like not and having seen the film, I was kind of waiting for the bit where she turned out to be like the mastermind behind it all, and yeah, that, yeah. that didn't it, it happen. It feels like that should be in there somewhere, yeah, some it, kind of definitely. Yeah. And then similarly, yeah, let's talk about her, the other the other female sidekick, uh, the sister, who just randomly turns into an android at the end. She turns into Michael Jackson from Moonwalker. <laughs> Come on, I mean, it, it, this always gets referenced in relation to this film, but if you watched this film as a kid, that is one of the freakiest moments in a non-horror film that you could have Ooh, watched. No, the bit for me kid. that I was like, oh, I remember that, was when Superman's getting tied up by the wires and they... And it, try, and it, wraps it plays it in reverse and... to show them, like, wrapping around his face. Yeah. Yeah, that messed well, me up. Well, it's the same thing happening to him, but but that moment when she gets turned into that and she's screaming and then it has the close-up of her eyes, that that was definitely nightmare fuel for me for a very long <laughs> so time. So that, 
that but then it's me... ruined when she comes out and she's walking <laughs> like a you know as soon as she steps out of the machine yeah and she's just painted silver <laughs> it all it all has the vibe to me of uh something that would work for someone who likes doctor who <laughs> all of, so all of that all of that stuff that you're just talking about it's like it's like oh this is this is there's something interesting and scary about this ah but it just like you you're <laughs> also kind of ask, yeah you're asking me to use my imagination in a, in addition <laughs> to that and i've uh, you've not got that much level of investment from me i mean that's that's another part of the film that kind of would make more sense if brain if it was a brainiac villain yeah because like brainiac if, yeah, has a history any... of possessing people right or if there's anything else in the yeah. movie that's weird and, and yeah. comic bucky. Like I say, the the idea that the computer itself is some kind of malevolent entity that yeah. has driven its own creation and the events of the film are all leading up to the creation of this computer and it's been manipulating everybody up to that I mean, point. It would even it would even then explain that... <laughs> Richard Pryor's bizarre heel turn at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, but it, but it, you know, it would explain him suddenly knowing what to do with computers. It would mm-hmm. explain him having the idea planted in his head to build the computer. Um, it would. It would explain necessarily... why Superman just lets him go at the end. <laughs> yeah. What it, there? Are, okay, there. Are, there are two things that it wouldn't explain. It wouldn't explain why, when he goes to reprogram the weather satellite, why that has <laughs> to be done from a, a web co or whatever it is computer but one that is apparently untraceable because it's a small company in in smallville like why is that any less traceable when there are big signs saying a subsidiary of of webster corp on it and also why is a computer a, a random little company shipping wheat or whatever they do why does it need two security keys to be inserted <laughs> at the same time like it's a nuclear uh, computer so it wouldn't explain that it also wouldn't explain why, and okay, I'm leaping ahead a bit here, but at the very end of the film, why is Brad in Metropolis at Lana's hotel at the exact same moment that Clark's in her hotel room? Because that's the biggest problem I have with this film. <laughs> <laughs> why is he in this movie? Of all the stuff that makes no sense in this film, that is the moment that makes the least <laughs> sense out of any of it. Oh, I think and Brad's moustache makes very little sense. <laughs> yeah. It, well, either that is the bit that makes the least sense, or how did... In, in the matter of minutes after Gus started programming on his computer, a credit card statement get printed and posted to somebody's house just so we could have a moment of domestic violence. I want to know how the two men on the crossing sign start fighting each other. See, that's the moment where, okay, where if you have Mr. Pitlick, Mr. Mixes Pitlick, that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can I tell you the thing that irrationally bothered me more than anything else in this movie? <laughs> Go on. It's the moment where the annoying little kid is bowling, and instead of just giving the <laughs> yeah. bowling ball a slight blow in the right direction, <laughs> Superman goes. <sighs> and I like. I like. Blasts them all. I just. I'm like, buddy, protect your secret. You know, it's going to be weird when Superman shows up to any extent in Smallville whilst you're hanging out there. Can I? Can I offer a justification for that moment, which I think is giving it more thought than anybody involved in the making of this film <laughs> gave it. At that moment, he's Clark Kent. And what he's doing there is, that's Clark Kent being Superman. And that's Clark Kent being clumsy with Superman's powers. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) 
the thing is, like, that's the kind of thing. I'm not. I'm not letting you get away with that, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of scene that just sort of it's funny, but it doesn't really make sense. Like it reminds me of all those like early Silver Age Superman comics. Yeah, which are just a succession of increasingly bizarre uses of Superman's powers. <laughs> Attack, oh, like, the... tacked on to sort of very minor crimes. So and like that, which, more you, than you anything, that's what this film reminds me of, is like a 50s Superman comic. Seb, you mentioned it earlier, the freezing of the lake and dropping it on the, Come on the on, fire. That's, that's great. But that is also something that I was like, what's going on here? Oh, he's freezing the... Oh! oh, oh. and <laughs> Without a care gonna... for what it will do for the ecosystem. Well, no, I was just, I was, when he, when he drops it, I was like, holy shit, he's going to crush the entire plant. And then, but no, it's, it melt it all melts on its way down. No, I mean, my, my, my problem with that scene is more that, um, that is surely the moment where any pretense of Superman's secret identity falls apart completely. Yes. <laughs> because Clark and Jimmy are on a bus. Clark and Jimmy get off the bus. Jimmy goes into the plant. All of a sudden, Superman arrives at the plant and Clark is nowhere to be seen. Also, he, this it's the one where he changes by running through the back of a police car. <laughs> um, which, uh, I mean, if you do it in the first two films, it's silly. I guess this is the comedy Superman film, so you can have the comedy. Also, that's the second comedy um, change scene because the yes. only bit of the dreadful opening sequence that's yes. actually funny is the photo booth bit, which what is really is going funny. On? Again, Seb, <laughs> if you tell me that first opening sequence is happening because Mr. Madabula is there, I'm like, I'm like, oh, but I watched, Mr. I, watched I watched this entire, I watched the entire sequence with my like mouth open going, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Why, I do. I love. Why like, are all, why are all sequence, these things happening? What is gonna be, What is gonna be the explanation behind this? Who is pulling these strings? Is like I was like, Lex Luthor's not in this movie, yeah. is he? He's not. He's not got some weird scheme that like that that kicks off the movie. And no, it's just all. I do want to a, a load of weird coincidences going on for five minutes. I do want to direct you back to Superman two when there's that scene of the like giant gale going down the street yeah. and like comedy babies the, the opening scene is basically richard lester doing that but yeah. for like 6 minutes <laughs> although i do love the title drop in this film which is like it shows the the phone booths and then they all topple over and then it says superman 3 down the bottom and i was like that's that's your moment that's your title drop. <laughs> that's, that's when you're moment. dropping like best title drop since cabin in the woods <laughs> Yeah, it is. You're right. It it is a stunningly drab opening sequence where you're like, oh, so. But even even if it's just okay, by sheer dumb luck, all of these things are happening. It's not even particularly imaginative with them. Like it's not. It's not like one thing happens, then the next thing happens. It, it like feels like a domino effect, except that every so often, like one of the dominoes yeah. doesn't fall, doesn't, and someone has to ru- someone has to run in and start and start like prodding the next one. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> so clumsy, but you're right. the The moment in the photo booth is great because when he rips off the one <laughs> yeah. shot of Superman yeah. and gives it to him, <laughs> you're like, that's that's awesome. I also I love, love the that. ending of that sequence where Clark Kent. Is it the ending where he picks up the penguin, blows out the fire on it, and then just sort of turns it around and puts it back down to top? Oh no, that's like that's like the is start the, of the is sequence. Is that in the start? Okay, yeah, but that's that right bit I start. loved. No, I think at the end of the sequence, he decide he he ensures that a, a, ra- a bloke gets hit in the face with a custard pie just so that Pamela Stevenson doesn't. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And there's also the moment of the guy who nearly drowns sat in his car 
which again the physics of was really bothering. Yeah, me. but again that see that along with the lake thing, that is one of those moments this film has that if you're watching that as a seven year old kid, that's awesome. Like Superman rescuing a drowning man from inside a car. It's ridiculous, <laughs> but it looks really cool if you're a kid. So Yeah. Um I I I think another another thing that that doesn't work for me about this movie is it not being in Metropolis, because um, I don't know. Well, well, no, I, a lot of it's in Smallville, but a lot a lot of it's not in Metropolis, and I think that there is something at least about Metropolis that when when I see Metropolis in these movies, I in my head can buy into the fact that it is in the fictional city of Metropolis. When it is um, not, mean, when it's not, I just think this movie spends too much time filming on industrial estate. It is kind of bad when it goes to New York as well, and you're like, oh, I guess Superman's in New York now? Well, no, they were, I mean, the Superman films have always done New York equals Metropolis. Even so. Um, but the, I don't know, I think the, apart from when Richard Pryor goes to Smallville to get drunk for some reason. Um, <laughs> the one yes, black person in the Smallville. Plan. Almost all of the Webster and Gus plot takes place in... They are in Metropolis because they're in Webster's building in Metropolis. Yeah, but but Superman's not there. Superman... Clark is in Smallville, but... Yeah. I, I just... A lot, I, a lot of the movie... I, a lot of the movie, I thought the settings were... There's some... I, 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 it probably... I don't know whether it was budget-wise, but it feels a lot cheaper... Not not to the same extent that Superman Four feels cheaper, <laughs> obviously, but it it feels cheaper. And even like even in that first opening sequence, the moment when Superman takes off for the first time, I was like, "Oh, did I mean did I believe a man could fly in the first two movies?" Because I <laughs> because I don't hear uh, it. Like it, it all felt like it was a little bit more wired than just checked, I, than I remembered. I've just checked, and it this was 39 million and superman yeah. 2 was 54 and the first one was 55 i don't know yeah. if that's a combined budget for the two of them or if it was 109 million between them but yeah, yeah. i don't i don't know it, it just John, and it, without and it, looking and it, what was the budget for superman 4 <laughs> oh uh about 8 million i think it was 12 17 okay <laughs> more, 17 more than you think but still not enough <laughs> well i guess and enough to bankrupt a company yeah. Hey, it made its money back. It made thirty-six million dollars at the box office. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, and just you know the fact that kind of a, a lot of the, a lot of the big set pieces in this movie, like, I don't know the 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 scene at the, uh, power station or whatever it was or the factory that he drops the lake on. I was like, is that East Midlands Parkway? Because it's as ugly, it, it, it's as ugly, um, and like, and then when he's just fighting in a quarry, I was like, did did they just go around to like the dump around the back of Pinewood Studios or something and film the scene? Um, it's like, it does say the junkyard scene was filmed on Pinewood's back lot. <laughs> right. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just. Yeah. I don't know. Just. Just visually, I thought that it was. It was drab quite a lot of the times, and even even when they're in Smallville and in, they're in the cornfields, it doesn't. It, you know, when you're watching the and again, it comes down to the time of the film. But when you're watching the first film and like the scenes in Smallville, Smallville feels like this semi magical place. Um, Smallville just feels like some place that's not Metropolis in this. There's nothing particularly special about it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. 
It's just it was it was a movie that for a, a large stretch in the middle after Clark had gone back to Smallville but hadn't become um ambivalent Superman yet. Um <laughs> I <laughs> I was I was kind of bored. I was kind of bored. There yeah, moments here and there but there is just I, I do think it's fun. I I do like the gag of Superman says that he's going to turn up to a kid's birthday party so the town turns it into a massive yeah. festival. There's a nice little smash cut to the whole yeah, festival of him being like, oh, yeah. of course Superman will come and then yeah, smash get to him on a stage with like the yeah. whole town around him. My favourite moment of the movie though was Superman uh, walking down the street in, Met- in Metropolis after Lana and her son. What's the son called? Ricky, I'm gonna... I think? Ricky. Ricky. Yeah. Or Jimmy or Bobby. No, I think it's Ricky. No, I think Ricky. Yeah. Little, so it's when it's when Lana and little Dick have come to um, <laughs> Metropolis and he's like, Oh, Superman, he's not bad. He's just having a bad day. He can hear me. And Superman You're just, just in a slump. <laughs> yeah, just and, in a and, slump. And, and Superman just keeps walking away, just getting angry. Like, oh, this little kid, just shut the fuck up. Because um, he is the worst. <laughs> he's the absolute worst. I was like, fair play to Renato O'Toole for for raising this shit on her own. <laughs> I, do, I, I, I do like, um, in, in the, uh, it's a shame that the movie doesn't do this, but um, so it, one of the things that we've covered in the very occasional series of, of posts on the website, uh, film strips, where we talk about the comic book adaptations of comic book movies. Um, and one of them, I think it was the first one I did actually, was on the comic version of Superman 3. Um, which is quite interesting because it was drawn by Kurt Swan, who was like pretty much. Um, that's that's definitive... like getting Jack Kirby to do a Captain America movie adaptation. Yeah, he's like the definitive Superman artist, and it's really interesting because he's combining his style of drawing Superman with doing likenesses of the actors, um, and it's a reasonably faithful take on the film generally it kind of runs through pretty much as it does um but the, but when when ricky's shouting at, at, at stubbly superman uh before he flies off he goes stay back kid you bother me <laughs> and I just like, like, the, the other thing that's missing is um the newspaper headlines um and this was a newspaper that was actually produced as a prop for the movie but didn't get seen. So obviously they did all these newspapers to show all the ridiculous stuff that 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 Dick Superman was causing. And there was a newspaper headline, Tap Dancing Superman Causes Earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made the film about 50% funnier if it had been included in the final movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely agree. Um, Seb, how come Lex Luthor isn't in this movie? Uh, because Gene Hackman didn't want to do it, but so, but but he he did want to do Superman four. Uh, it's just it's just it's just do you know do you know what I mean? It just feels the, weird. According to the production background, he was just busy with another movie when they wanted That's to make what this he one. He said, I mean, it was said that he he had fallen out with them over the the Richard Donner thing. I think probably. Gene Hackman's career was in a different place in in 1982. I guess they would have been making this than it was in 1986, 87. Um, <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I, I don't know why Gene Hackman did Superman Four because we'll, we'll get onto that when we do it. But yeah. it's an anomaly that film, and it is weird that he decided to do it. I mean, that is a film that I am legitimately really looking forward to covering <laughs> on the podcast because it is just it is it just in in like. Movie studio history. It's a fascinating movie, yeah. <laughs> um, and in, and in superhero 
It's, and uh, James I think we've... lives where it was made. Yep. <laughs> so we should all go. To I, I genuinely, I think about it constantly because I get the train most days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny, isn't it? We've we've said this before, but you know how like Superman burned so bright and then tailed away almost as quickly um, in the eighties, the same way that Batman then did in the nineties. And watch and watching both of those runs, and then flashing forward to now, where just it, well, they're ahead of the times now because they just them. started out shit this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? So you're talking about the super, the Superman and Batman movies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was talking more generally about superhero cinema. But yeah. <laughs> it is, it's a fascinating trajectory of kind of like. I don't know through through circumstance and bad judgment, just misunderstanding what audience actually wanted from the movies that you were making. Um, after getting it right, after getting it so right early on, um, Seb, is there anything that we've missed that we should cover before we uh, before we leave Superman three in the rear view? I don't know if we want if we just want to. Do we want to talk any further about its its ridiculous view of how computers work? Um, that if you write a load of uh, basic print commands, <laughs> um, it will. Uh, um, I, I've never fully understood the whole half cent scheme. I know Office Space. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I forgot to reference Office Space. <laughs> um, I yeah. This whole thing about this this money is floating around and no one knows where it is um, is also you know I don't really understand how they don't instantly know exactly who stole it because it would have transferred it to his account in their internal payroll system and then they're like oh he won't slip up he won't make a mistake and obviously have the gag of he's bought the Ferrari but yeah. <laughs> they could literally just look at which account was that money transferred to. Um, I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It feels silly picking holes in stuff like that. I suppose. Um, <laughs> Just so I remember the 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 office space thing is that it's like every transaction has like point seven of a penny on the end of it, and there are millions of transactions. So if yeah. you just steal that point seven of a penny. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's a thing. It's called salami slicing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and they want to. It, it's often uh, referred to as uh, like you could do it as a Robin Hood tax. Yeah. So that, like, all of the major economies in the world, if they implemented a tax where for every transaction you take the percentage of a penny that yeah. you can generate... I mean, that side of it makes revenue. sense. But what doesn't make sense in this is that we're talking about an internal system, which is their payroll system, and that when their tax deductions are calculated, sometimes if there's a half a cent, it gets rounded down. And what the guy, what Gus's co-worker says to him is, "Oh, those half cents are just floating around." Well, well, they're not just floating around; they just haven't been given out, so they're still in the bank account of the company. So there's no floating half cent that you can take. It's just money that hasn't been allocated, hasn't been paid out. So you can't just tell it. I do like that he just tells the computer, like. <laughs> Override security yeah. codes. Pay all half cents <laughs> into this bank. I wish I knew that. You know, I wish computer programming. Um, <laughs> I realised that it was so easy. I could have gone into a career out of it. But um. okay, so here, here is something um, that I just don't understand. Um, 
Seb, what is going on with Columbia in this movie? What? Why? What? What's he got against oh, Columbia? Ooh. What do they do wrong? And then how does... I even... I'll be honest. I really wasn't sure why Webster was so anti-Superman. Because Superman had saved Columbia from the weather system. Okay. No, he, like, but no, he was Webster trying... Webster wants to corner the market. Yeah, he's trying to corner coffee. the market in coffee. Yeah. But yeah. Columbia... Coffee-fee. Columbia produces yeah. a load of coffee. Yeah, Columbia makes a lot yeah. of coffee and they're not falling in line with his plans or like they're, you know, undercutting him or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So he wants Superman to ruin their coffee crop. Not Superman. He wants the Vulcan the satellite, satellite. Yeah. to yeah. ruin the coffee crop so that he can corner yeah. the market on coffee. But Superman intervenes with the weather system and stops it from happening. So he hates Superman and he's annoyed because he can't sell his coffee and he decides the- to do oil instead. The worst side characters in any movie, which is the people who, for no apparent reason, have won a Daily Planet competition, <laughs> go on holiday, are a bit racist, and then decide that when a whole town is basically being destroyed, the worst thing is that they've got a bit hurt and they're going to sue the Daily Planet. <laughs> to no resolution. Why? Are, yeah, no resolution. Why are they there? Well, I mean, Jackie Cooper like does respond appropriately, doesn't he? <laughs> Jackie Cooper goes like, what? No. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> but then, I don't know, it just seems like either Webster should be focused on his Columbia coffee plan, or he should hate Superman. But no, it... he hates Superman because Superman scuppered the plan. Yeah, but he so... scuppered that plan. Couldn't he just do something that was a little bit more surreptitious? <laughs> You know, could he go back and go, right, okay, which of these things is easy to do? Come up with a new plan to mess up Columbia's coffee uh, No, but he comes up with a plan for the oil instead. He goes bigger. He goes, okay, I'm going to corner the market in all the oil, but I can't do that while Superman's around because he'll do exactly what he did. But so again, let's take him I just out the way. There's, there's one of two things you can do. You can go, Honestly, can yeah, I, can there I are sneak? a lot of things that don't make sense in this movie, <laughs> yeah, but you've, you've managed to the pick one the thing, thing that, that actually does. <laughs> <laughs> I just think I just think the villain, if he doesn't, if like, if he isn't someone who comes in with a pre-existing grudge against Superman, should just go, I'm going to try and do this a little bit more sneakily. Superman won't notice because he'll be too busy saving people from actual things. Uh, just uh, and then and then like but and they, but they kept bringing up Columbia as well. Columbia kept coming up all the way through the movie. Um, <laughs> like I, I was just like, why why are we still talking about them? They they were like the one UN country who who still liked Superman a bit because yeah, because he saved, saved them. them that, yeah, but America didn't bloody stick with Superman, did he? After he saved him in the those first, Superman literally saved the world <laughs> on a number of occasions. Yeah, but that was ages ago. That was like that two was or three ages years ago, ago right? Yeah, well, he dropped a he dropped a lake on a on East Midlands Parkway. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Well, no, you don't want him like dropping your lakes on stuff. Jesus, that's. I mean, that <laughs> is true. I did think it was pretty irresponsible. Um, <laughs> and you can understand why Italy hates him. Yes, I've he... just realised that there's a um, a parallel here because I was thinking about the fact that it's, it's interesting that Ross Webster has never made it into the comics and. Not even in a... I can understand not just bringing the character wholesale across because shortly afterwards you've got the businessman version of Lex Luthor, so you couldn't just have the same (laughs) character. But comics being the way they are, it's kind of a surprise that there's never even been like a character named after him that's remotely similar because, you know, you would think at some point someone would would use it. And then I realised that actually 
often when these movies create original characters like that, they, sometimes they do, but you know, like when Smallville created Chloe Sullivan, Chloe Sullivan ended up in the comics very briefly, I think. Um, but um, the villain of Superman 3 was never brought into the comics. The villain of Superman 4, Nuclear Man, never brought into the comics. Um, and then I realised Batman Returns has got Max Shrek, who was yeah. also a billionaire businessman <laughs> with a ridiculous plot about cornering some kind of market who also never got brought into the comics. So there's just something about these movies. They like creating these businessman villains. I do miss the uh, days. The difference with Max Shrek, though, is Max Shrek's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do miss I, the days I, when I the, like, the villain like Ross was Ross just a white-collar businessman. <laughs> but that's that's the thing. I'd say. You almost... This film can almost go in the direction of uh, being a film where capitalist big business is the villain. Do you know, actually, do you know... It's just so weird do you know to do who that this in the comedy one, though. Yeah, <laughs> quite. Like, um, Richard Pryor in this film reminded me of Electro from Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. There, like, there's a lot of parallel there. But um, look at how Superman reacts to well, quite compared with how Spider-Man reacts. Yeah, he sets him free at the end because on his planet, the S stands for SJW. <laughs> He he gives him a, a proper brother <laughs> handshake because it's Richard Pryor as well. <laughs> you could tell that like that moment when he's pulling him out of the rubble and he gives him that handshake. That's like one of the first things they would have thought of when they were making this film. It's like <laughs> yeah. we are going to have a moment where Superman shakes hands with Richard Pryor like that. <laughs> I just have to say it's it's really annoying because like, I I don't like. As I say, the way people talk about, oh, you know, this film was ruined because it was a Richard Pryor comedy. If this film had no. actually been a proper Richard Pryor comedy with all that Richard Pryor was capable of, <laughs> it could have been fantastic. The problem is that it's a that it's a bad Richard Pryor comedy in which I don't think he's very funny. Apart from, I, he, I think like he has his moments, but you do get I th- the same. Yeah, but I think they're almost all quite early on. I like it when it's just him. Quite early well, on, the, when the he starts the movie to where we get with the to, plot is where it falls apart. I think. When we get ambivalent Superman, Richard Pryor's basically not in the movie far. Yeah, now. quite. Yeah, but like it's like his energy doesn't fit in with the other characters or actors rather. And like I don't know what stage in Richard Pryor's personal life this was, but he seems out of it at times. <laughs> like you know, I wouldn't like to speculate what was going on behind the camera, but he definitely seems sort of tired and a bit disengaged yeah uh I, I don't think i can disagree with that i do think that of like of all the superman films this is the one i most would like to see remade <laughs> because i feel like there are some good sequences in here that you could string together into mm. a good movie but as it is it's just sort of i hate saying things are too long because that's not a criticism like if you say it's uh, quite long for a film, well, that yeah, era, that's the thing. That if you say like, if you say the movie is too long, what you actually mean is it's not doing something that it should do to justify that length. So too yeah. long in itself isn't a criticism. That said, this movie is too long because it just dicks around for ages when it should be telling a story. I yeah. I I do think that like after you've done Superman and Superman two, if you're doing another Superman film with the same people. I know what everyone in like comic book fans and stuff and, and people who are talking about it in retrospect would have wanted would have just been another Superman 2. Just doing that again would not have been that interesting. And, you know, 
I don't think Superman 3 really succeeds at what it's trying to do. But I would kind of rather it tries to do something different than just try and remake Superman 2 and have it not be as good. It Where do you go after with a with a with a kind of serious, iconic fighting supervillains take on Superman in that era when you don't have big budget CGI? Where do you go after Superman 2? I don't really know if there's anywhere I mean, that it, you necessarily can. It is kind of weird as well, isn't it? Because it doesn't really feel like a sequel. Like it doesn't, no. like yeah. it doesn't pick up all the plot threads of like his father or his parents or Krypton. And well, it's stuff. lost. No, it's it's lost all, almost all of the recognizable characters. Mm. Oh, and they, they and kill the iconography in films with a throwaway line of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. How, um, does Margot Kidder appear in this through some kind of contractual obligations or? I don't or know. Do you, think, do you think they just offered her enough money Wasn't that it, it made like, sense allegedly, to on set for a week? Allegedly, she fell out with the producers, and she, she, she was definitely... she was upset at being treated in this way. Mm. No, I, I I think obviously her not being in it much. Everyone knows the reason for that is that she was very much on the Richard Donner side uh, mm. and publicly criticised them. And what I don't understand, and I agree with you, Joe, I'm not sure why why she is in it at all. Yeah. Why she's in it a little, you know, she you'd think she'd either not be in it at all or be in it properly. It's weird that she's only in it a little bit because it's like, well, can you just, they must have just gone, it feels weird if Lois isn't even referenced, so let's chuck a load of money at her to come in for half a day and sleepwalk through a couple of scenes. <laughs> but I, yeah. do, I mean, you know, not to... I'm I'm not saying I should rename my daughter or anything, but I I do kind of think that Anatole's Lana is better in this film than Margot Kidder's Lois is. I say maybe we should film. replace you with Al Kennedy then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Uh, She's not okay, after her. She's not. <laughs> well, um, I think that probably does bring us to the end of our Superman three discussion. Seb, any closing thoughts? Just that. Just to kind of reiterate what I said at the start, at the start, which is, you know, it is a difficult film to get a handle on, but I kind of think I, I, I was more looking forward to sitting and watching this through to do the podcast than I was for Superman 2. I think I think there's kind of more to get out of watching this than Superman 2, which I think is a bit dull in places. And Superman 2 is a better film, there's no question, but... Um. Yeah, I was, and you know, I I definitely remember a time when I talked about outright hating this because it was the crappy comedy one. But um, no, you can no, you can never really shake your your first love, and you know, this <laughs> this has been there for a very long time for me. <laughs> so one thing that stuck with me about this film is the sequence at the end where uh they get Webster to play a Superman computer game. Oh god, yeah, we did When, I, when I was a kid, oh god, I wanted nothing more than to play that game. Like more than anything, that's the thing from this film that stuck with me. Um, and also, having rewatched this, I preferred Superman One. <laughs> I'll leave you with that. Ah, uh, well, I I disagree. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you can't there's... disagree because I prefer no, it I to just... Superman One. You can't no, disagree I, with I, that. That's I, I a fact. I disagree with you. You don't. You don't. You're lying. <laughs> I'd rather watch you this. Just... I got more out of this than I did watching Superman One, which was just um, dull, I dull and I... long. And this is funny, and at least bits where you can laugh. 
I, I I would like to make make a point about that that video game sequence as well. Um, so this film you would imagine would have been being made because it was released in 1983. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was released in in summer of 1983, so it would have been being made probably in 1982. Um, and Atari made that sequence, the 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 video game sequence, and this struck me watching it this time that um, I'm not sure a sequence has dated quicker than the fact that that sequence will have been made while video games were a hot thing. And then by the time the film was released, the great <laughs> video game crash of 1983 would have happened. And they were burying Atari cartridges <laughs> in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I will also leave with a final thought of, um, I completely forgot about this scene, but Richard Pryor skis off a skyscraper. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a that is an awful scene, but another one that could be explained away with Mr. McShespitalik and or Brainiac. That does have the good yeah. line where he's like, I've got one thing to say to you, I can't ski, and then skis off. <laughs> I properly laughed at that. <laughs> and also, I've still not been able to figure out since our Superman 2 episode. So the, this film has a credited appearance towards the end by uh, the actor Chris Malcolm, um, who uh, appeared in lots of comedy things. He was in Ab Fab and Comic Strip Presents, and he was the original Brad in Rocky Horror uh, in the stage show. And he's credited in this because he's one of the miners at the end um, when when they're at the you know when Superman gets the uh, diamond out of the coal and tries <laughs> is he to get the one? Job. Someone asked him a question, and he, then he nods a lot and then says no, because <laughs> that was uh, funny too. I'm not sure. He's the, he's the one on the left. He's got quite a big nose, um, but he's. I am convinced that he is in Superman 2 uncredited um as a as a prison guard at the very start when Luther is in prison and I, and this came up when we did our Superman 2 episode and I asked about this on Twitter and his daughter who is a playwright called Morgan Malcolm did not know the answer she knew he was in Superman 3 but she couldn't even answer whether or not that was actually him in Superman 2 or not. So I've not been able to get an answer to this question. So if anyone knows if that is Chris Malcolm in Superman 2, please let me know because it's really bugging me. I can't help you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, but hopefully you can help me. Guys, what comic recommendations do you have based on Superman 3? I bet James doesn't have one. I don't have one. I, I've not read a Superman comic, anything like this, outside of like bizarre Silver Age ones, and I couldn't point to anything. But I tell you what, yeah. tell you what, you should read. You should go and read the Super Dickery website if that still exists. <laughs> um, does it actually? Let's let's Google. I'm just googling it now. This. Super Dickery. <coughs> oh, it even has its own website by the look of it now. Yeah. Um, no, I, I would say, I mean, actually something not a million miles away, but um, I mean, we've recommended so many Superman comics on this podcast, and I think by now we've recommended most of the good ones. Um, there is a trade paperback called Superman in the 70s. Um, they did, I think they did a 50s one and a 60s one as well. Um, they just did these trades collecting, you know, a few kind of significant stories from, from each of those decades. The 70s is really not my era of Superman at all. Um, as far as I'm concerned, like Superman stuff is great and fun in the 60s, Silver Age. The Bronze Age stuff where he goes off and, and becomes a TV news anchorman, um, it's just not that interesting up until you get the proper reboot in the 80s. But I think if you want to see where the Superman comics were at in the decade or so leading up to this film. So you can kind of see some of the stuff 
where this film comes from in terms of sort of reconciling the ridiculousness of the kind of 60s Superman stuff, but with the growing thing that 70s DC Comics had, which was trying to put a bit of social conscience. and and, Because one of the things that this film is trying to do, I think, is trying to be relevant in modern early 1980s America. And it and it tries to do that by making it about computers and you know what <laughs> happens when Superman uses his powers for bad. You know, it's, it, there's hints of all of that sort of look we're trying to be a, a modern edgy Superman movie, even though it's a comedy. And I think you can see a bit of that in kind of seventies Superman comics as well, and things like the increased prominence of. So you know that thing in mean, the original treatment about Lana being a Daily Planet reporter in the kind of seventies early eighties Superman comics. Lana came to Metropolis to work at um, WGBS, which is the TV station where Clark is an anchor. So, uh, you know, there's there's little resonant things like that, um, which, you know, as I, I wouldn't necessarily say that the stories in it are the, the greatest Superman stories ever, but they give you a flavour of the type of comics that were going on at the time this film came out. Fantastic. And, well, I, I tell you something that I that I might actually try and read coming off the back of this podcast because it's been sat on my shelf for a year and a half maybe uh, and I've not got around to reading it and this podcast has just reminded me that I own it um, which is a collection called World's Funnest which is Mr. Mixel blah, 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 and Batmite and <laughs> like stor- stories featuring the two of those um, which uh, I saw I kind of had a flick through on the shelf in a comic store and thought that looks right up my alley, probably after a podcast where we talked about the characters um, and and haven't got around to reading it yet. So <laughs> that's a thing that exists that I'm, I'm probably going to try and give a read. I kind of, and also you guys, I don't, you must, you must do this as well. Is it, don't you kind of badly just want to watch Superman 4 right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We've got something better to watch next. Yeah, although it probably will be the next Superman movie we watch for the for this podcast. I think given that we've gone on to three, uh, we can't justifiably go to Returns before. Also, we don't want to do Superman Returns no, anytime. We can, so. we're, we're, we're definitely leaving that aside for a while. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll do, yeah, Superman 4 will be a lot of fun, but I think we need to make that a special episode in some way. Go and do a video episode in Milton Keynes. Just, <laughs> we'll just sit outside Milton Keynes Station and... <laughs> Outside the United no, we, Nations. I was going to say, we should go to the actual UN to do it. Just to prove how easy it is. <laughs> that could be our next live commentary. <laughs> live as in we are literally recording it from the, the scenes where... <laughs> yeah. it, from the sets where it was filmed. Um, okay, um, so our final section is to tell you what the pitch is next week. Haven't prepared this, so I'm going to come up with a pitch on the fly. Oh, does James get to choose between our pitches? Oh, Black yeah, James. Oh. So you you revealed to me off mic you have in fact already listened to our last minisode. Um, so who wins the pitch between me and Seb for <laughs> our Black Panther spin-offs? I <laughs> can I can I make it? Can we can we each make it a last a last minute plea to you? Yeah, go on there. Yeah. Are you, I just James, wanna... are you just masking the fact that you either didn't listen or can't remember what they are? <laughs> I can't remember what they are. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to choose Joe, so, you know. <laughs> to, bring, to bring our bit back. Yeah. yeah. Um, Seb pitched Letitia Explains It All. Right, yeah. 
And and I pitched a movie where instead of, as Seb was advocating, why not just make Shuri Iron Man and then there's no need for Riri Williams in the MCU. I'm saying, hey, there's room for two black female geniuses in the MCU. And Seb, how disgraceful that you think there's only room for one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think what I said was how disgraceful that um, you want to turn what should be a Black Panther spin-off into yet another Iron Man movie. No, I want to co-op the Iron Man franchise and make it all about the Black Panther characters. That's the other way of looking at it. It's the correct way of looking at it. <laughs> I mean, how seriously am I going to take this? Because... I mean, I mean, we all know the real winner is the pitch that Amon is still sitting on and we will find and listen to at some stage. And it, will be, <laughs> it will be so well, well thought out and incredible and we just tossed off this crap on the last podcast. <laughs> I mean, Letitia Wright was my favourite thing about... Uh, the movie so anything that has more of her is gonna win yeah the problem is both of them yeah well quite yeah although joe's had her splitting the screen time with uh a, yeah a, i mean this is the you, you yours, this is yours the had her with yours had her with a different mcu cameo every week stealing the spotlight from shuri no it would just be like agents of shield where you just go well that was a waste yeah oh no i think seb had uh lorelei uh, lined up as his first guest star <laughs> Maybe we should get Sif back and finish off that story. She can be like, oh, my mates one. died and I wasn't there. <laughs> um, no, Seb's got to win, I'm afraid. Oh, boo. But I just, I don't care about Ruby Williams. Like, honestly, who cares? Well, in, in the same way, I don't care about a lot of characters until they turn up in the MCU and the MCU goes, oh, what if... What if now she's a kid from Oakland who becomes a superhero because the Marvel characters decided, the Black Panther characters decided to set up? But they that like Shuri in, in Shuri in the movie in Black Panther is basically we don't need Riri Williams because we've just transplanted her entire shtick onto this character. That's what I'm saying, James. You can have more than one of them. Yeah, but it would be like if you she had would, if you had another super genius wise cracking personality. If you had another super genius, wisecracking, bearded guy who built a suit of armor, you'd go like, why have we got two Iron Mans? This is a bit stupid. Listen, we've got two Sherlocks and two Watsons. <laughs> it is a bit, it's all a bit stupid. It's for kids, James. It's all for kids. What are we doing this podcast for? <laughs> <sighs> it's very late and I need to go to bed. You know, nothing hurts me more than to give Seb a point, but I have to. Morally, I have to. Okay, I so trust Seb's... he'll remember that. Yeah. Seb, Seb wins last week's pitch. You would have thought with all that vamping that I would have come up with ne- with this week's pitch. I haven't yet. Um, what if, what, pitch me a superhero threequel that is stealthily a comedy. No, I can't do that. Um... Okay, so the pitch is, I want you to pitch me a movie in the DCEU that features Brainiac, Mr. Mitzelplikalik, and Supergirl. <laughs> come up with come up with a better idea than Ilya Salkind was able to come up with, uh, but do it in the DCEU. Okay. Y- you guys can have some fun with that. I've got, I've got okay. my pitch already. So. Uh, and listeners, you... Uh, That's how fast I work. I'm like lightning. <laughs> 
listeners thankfully missed out on my uh, 10 plus minutes of trying to come up with a pitch that we've just had to edit out of the podcast. I think I nailed it, though. <laughs> or that Joe will forget to edit and that I will... Listen, Seb, some of these intentional errors, they're, they're what the listeners live for. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you're enjoying the show, listeners, then please please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. I, I should apologize, actually, because I haven't run a Patreon competition this month, because, or last month, in fact, because I was moving house and then ill. And basically, my life is still being unboxed. So, if you're wondering what's going on with those, they will be back up soon. What are you going to give away this month, Ooh, James? I don't know. I, I still need to dig it out. I've got a Superior Spider-Man figure, I think. That Ooh, could possibly go. No, you can't have it. <laughs> Did you get the Guardian CBD I sent you, by the way? Yes. Yeah. I can't remember if I checked. Did I ask you? <laughs> yeah. This is, where, this is where I am. <laughs> Very confused. I'll find something good, don't worry. Okay, sounds like it might be a superior Spider-Man figure, which sounds pretty cool. Yep, uh, so you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com. You can get in touch via Facebook on Twitter at cine underscore verse or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Long before the birth of light, there was darkness. <gasps> and from that darkness came... The Dark Elves? Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Thor, the Dark World. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, what were we thinking? <laughs>